he could win the dance contest. It's, oh my god! Yeah, they're ridiculous, bro. That you see the one with uh, he's doing a, a infomercial, like a commercial for a, a kung fu school. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> tackling grapple. <laughs> <laughs> tackling grapple. Oh, it's, it's amazing because he's got all women in his class. <laughs> so he's tackling and grappling, but he's mad handsy. So he's like, I'll show you all the moves how to tackle and grapple. And he's just basically just wrestling with women on the ground. <laughs> like, yeah, come on down to my school. Like, this shit might be problematic. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's great. bad, bro. They they they're freaking hilarious, dude. I've seen probably I have I've never really watched full shows because I never watched the show itself. But I've seen pretty much anything that's available on YouTube or whatever to watch. I've yeah. seen pretty much every sketch. I just never watched full episodes of the show. I'm yeah, guessing it's all online anyway. But it's at this point. Yeah, I'm sure. I can't say that I've seen the whole uh, a whole episode. Um, it for I, the the couple that I saw, it was like hit or miss. Like they were either really really good, or they were like eh. Like the the Andre three thousand one, I was like eh, eh yeah, all right. <laughs> eh. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. He was basically just acting a fool for a few minutes. <laughs> right, like I'm gonna wear a Peter Pan hat and some <laughs> some lambskin jeggings. <laughs> no, the best the best part is Big Boy's frustration. That's that's right. why it's funny because he's just like, oh my god, what happened to you, bro? <laughs> and it was quick too. It was it was by about by album two he had on the turban, yeah. but it was still kind of uh, it's different than album one. Album three it was like yo, uh, goat chaps. Goat chaps. She just had goatskin uh, chaps, like all right, awesome. fuzzy hats I, and no shirt. Yeah, I remember. I I remember because I, I rem- being where I was at at the time in Jersey. I remember how it was the wildest shit any of us had ever seen. I mean, we knew, <laughs> of course, we we seen our parents' record covers and Funkadelic and Parliament and all that. We we knew yeah. about it. But it wasn't happening in hip hop at all. No, nobody right. in hip hop was stepping outside of the outside of bounds like that. And when and dude was just in every video, with someone was rocking shoulder pads, and <laughs> it was just like, yo, what is happening right now? <laughs> we were so confused. And when you think about it, it's hilarious because it's like, yo, just let him do what he's doing. Like, why, why would it affect you that much? But we were so. I remember it being such a novelty. Like, yo, what the hell is he wearing? <laughs> we were extremely confused back in the day. I remember that shit. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people didn't give him his uh his just do it first because of that. Like, yo, this dude's a fucking weirdo. But that he made was he was so good he could get away with it. That made it better. You I, I yeah. you definitely couldn't be maybe not couldn't be, but I think it would have been a, even more awkward if he was that dope just wearing big-ass jerseys and, 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 and sagging jeans. You'd be like, this this kind of don't make no sense. His yeah. whole vibe made sense for what he was saying and doing. Like, it made perfect sense. People just yep. wasn't ready for it. Right. I mean, even even like if, you know, you compare him to somebody in hieroglyphics or like how common was back in the day, you know, Super cerebral and conscious, but like I said, nobody was wearing shoulder pads. That was that was a step up. That was just some otherworldly. Yeah, sh- yeah, shoulder pads and furry pants was a whole nother world. I mean, Common was settling into his his granddaddy thing pretty early. 
Like he was right. He was rocking those grandpa Kangos. Yeah, early, you know what I'm saying? So he, he yeah. had chosen his road already. <laughs> I think Kava had already chosen his road. He's like, I'm going straight fast track to old man. Yeah, I'm going to get some turtlenecks. Right, exactly. Some, 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 uh, <laughs> I'm going to wear a full some, beard like a gentleman. Yeah, paper. Uh, get your paper, sir. Newsy yeah. hats. One of those newsy yeah. hats. Definitely tweed jackets and shit. <laughs> Gotta have the tweed. All he needs is one of those hook pipes. Yeah. That's, that's his vibe all the way, bro. Got <laughs> balls, sir. I brought balls. <laughs> he could get away with it too. Cause that, that was his thesis from the beginning. Not maybe not from the beginning, because I remember the first, you know, the I, I never really listened to the very first album too much. It was a little bit too noisy for me. It was a lot of sound effects and funny voices and stuff. Yeah. And I couldn't really tolerate that. The only person I could tolerate that from, and it was probably close to the same time, was Redman. Yeah. Like he could kind of get away with it, but uh, I couldn't tolerate it from Common. Not until I didn't really, really get deep into listening to him until uh, One Day It'll All Make Sense. That was the one that got me. Yeah. That was the one that got me. The one before that was dope, but that one was like. I remember, I pretty much, I remember it being the soundtrack like to that whole summer. And I, that's yeah. when you know it's good. <laughs> yeah, I dug, uh, it, yeah, I, he definitely didn't find his, his sound until the second album. On the first album, you could tell like he was kind of, he had, he had bars, he could rhyme, but he didn't really know like how he wanted to get in on the beat and what kind of song he wanted to make. Right. You know, so he was a little more, it was a little more like, offensive and juvenile and yeah i know what you're saying with like his little yeah like it'd be like yeah, yeah. little like <laughs> high-pitched emphasis on some of the verbs i mean he 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 has some songs on there that i really dug i just remember i love no id's beat making style so much that even with you know him not really finding his sound just yet it, it, it was still pretty good man that he's to me one of the most underrated producers he doesn't get talked about as much as as a lot of the others, but I mean that dude has been super consistent right, for like yeah. decades now. Even yeah, to where, nice. yeah, Jay Z and Kanye were going back to get him. Like, okay, let's make an album. You know, yeah, uh, he's and, super and nice too. Oh yeah, he's super nice for sure, for sure. But I remember one day it all makes sense. Changing my whole perspective. I, I mean, I dug, I listened to him, of course. But when that when that joint dropped, that's when I was like, all right, this one's not leaving the Walkman. For a few days, this one's gonna just stay on repeat for a couple of days. I had to rock with it for a while. Yeah, that that De La Soul song on there, I think it's like live at the amphitheater. Yeah, yeah. Doom, doom. So much it. dope shit. So much dope shit. That whole, I mean, there was a there was a lot of fly shit around that time. I think their whole their whole camp was doing crazy, crazy fresh music. Even for the time for that it encapsulated, it was still ahead of the curve for back then. It was a lot of dope shit happening back then, but you could listen to some of that stuff now and be like, good lord. It, I don't if you listen to know. the um the black album Accept Your Own, uh and uh Accept Your Own and Something Yourself, I forget the full name of it, but it was that No ID debut album. And he didn't rhyme great, but those beats on there, like they were at least 10, 15 years ahead of their time. Right. Like the the sound it's like this is this is something else. The yeah. sample. Like this is the way he made it sound so clean and it was it was I don't know, man. 
it's just it was just so much on a higher echelon than what everybody else was doing at that time. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I agree. Shit was it was some special stuff happening. You can I matter of fact, I was listening to um this morning for some reason. I'm not sure what came across my timeline that made me think about it, but I started listening to some of the old sound bombing and lyricist yeah. lounge stuff a little bit this morning. And I was just like, wow, how crazy. Just because of that, it's, it's kind of cemented in that time frame just because of probably our experience with it mostly. But when you listen to it, just in comparison to what's happening now, the sound of everything, it's like some of that shit really is some some gold from back then. Oh, yeah. And that, and that was like the last attempt to keep hip-hop from being just a complete prostitute. Like the, the <laughs> 90s... <laughs> The 90s was like, okay, the, the culture is still represented, it's still pretty uh, authentic. Obviously, it's commercial because people are making money. But there's a debate on whether, you know, should we like Biggie or is Biggie too successful? Well, then right. what are you in it for to not be successful? Well, you got to have just a certain sound. And so, like, that whole uh, raucous records and sound bomb and all that, it was like, okay, we're going too far, you know, uh, to try to com- commodify the music. So we want to try to get it back. In the, and that was like the last... The last stand and then after that like it was just it was full-on prostitution <laughs> like what whatever yeah. whatever's gonna make money that's it that's what that's what we're doing whatever yeah and you see where that and i mean the numbers make sense i don't know about the whole you know the cultural contributions but the numbers definitely make sense because these people are getting all kinds of cash to do shows and i don't you know i don't know about streams and record sales and all of that anymore but you know show revenue was at all time high that's for sure oh back then or but now no, i mean now now i mean just the money that's being generated in the from the same basically i guess may, maybe not the same things are different now with the internet and that that kind of put a damper on how people made money because uh, album sales tanked immediately once people oh, yeah. was able to download everything, watch it on YouTube. So, but still, shows they people making a lot of bread off shows, man. Well, I, they were anyway before <laughs> before this shit got slapped. <laughs> before the economy killer came. Yeah, before everything got slapped, they was making it. I mean, and you could tell just by the way the way people move in the culture as far as how they treat money you can tell they're getting a lot of disposable income just from the shows because it's not coming from streams it's not coming from uh business deals for most of these guys it's just that they can go to three or four places you know almost probably the whole weekend thursday friday saturday sunday they can go to different two places every night and make 10 15 grand if they want to maybe more Mm. that's pretty amazing yeah, I think too that they're all involved in other income streams too. Nobody is like at this point. If you're just relying on music as a musician, you're, you're failing. Like yeah, everybody's yeah. looking for something else. Like, okay, well, I, I did a little music. What else am I going to get into now? That's a smart move. Yeah, that's, for sure. That's definitely a smart move, especially with uh, how social media is connected to everybody. People want to see everything, so they might get bored or just waiting for music or watching videos but if you got other shit going on you can record all of that too <laughs> and, and that's just yeah. content more shit people can watch and engage with and and find reasons to be connected for yeah not not everybody did okay i mean i remember um mike geronimo like mm. i think he was on like a a reality show for a little bit 
he he's arguably like one of the first to do it. But you know you don't hear about him no more. But what I show was he on? I can't remember. Mike's right. Because I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it, but I knew about it. I'm like, I'm not watching this shit. I don't care. Like I, it was it was in the late '90s or early 2000s, wow. and it was it was like about him and his girl, and I think there was like other couples involved, and I don't know if they just like kind of followed him around and monitored the relationship or what. Wow. So it was like a a love and hip hop kind of vibe. It might have been. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up now because I got I got no idea what the name of it was. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember him being on nothing because I, I definitely remember the name. I'm pretty sure I remember at least one song he was on, but uh, I don't think I listened all that much. I just remember yeah. him being in the class of these kind of like obscure type of rappers that were kind of around but not really super prevalent. Yeah, I, his two his first two albums I thought were really dope. I don't know if he did anything after that, but. Um, he had like a uh, Buck Wild on some of the production for his first one. He yep. had a, a few from the Beat Miners. Um, I mean, he was nothing like incredible. Like you'd hear bars from like, "Oh my gosh," but he kind of had that like prodigy Nas kind of laid back, always in the pocket, rhyme flow, nothing, nothing incredible, yeah, but yeah. It, just, it just sounded good. Yeah, he was definitely cool. I remember uh, King Just too. I remember he that dude coming out of nowhere, and having this crazy sound at the time. But it was only for like um, I think it was maybe two songs that people were interested in what he was doing, and after that he kind of just disappeared. But I definitely remember that dude coming out of nowhere with some wild shit. King I think Just. he started on yeah King. He had a song called Warriors Drum. It was pretty dope. I have to go back. I don't. I don't remember him. Yeah, but I'm sure yeah. I probably heard something. Yeah, I'm. I think he was from. Uh, I think if I'm, I'm not mistaken, I think he was from Staten Island. I, I don't know if he was super affiliated with Wu Tang. I remember there being some kind of loose connection, but I, I'm not sure. But I know he had some. Uh, I know he was beefing with Red Man for a while. That's why. That's what it was. He was beefing with Redman, and I think in one of the songs that he put out, he had like some subliminal disses and shit like that. Now, hip hop was super territorial back then. Like I remember people in Jersey talking about it. Like they they didn't they didn't want to listen to his music no more because he was dissing Redman, and I don't think that kind of shit even exists anymore. Yeah, I re- I remember that too. Uh, during the the Biggie and Pac beef, that everybody like middle school kids like arguing about like you have to pick a side like it's right right (laughs) i can't like both of them and people from it was wherever they're from and even within like for me anyway being in in new jersey even within jersey there was places they would subdivide themselves even more like yeah he's from jersey but this guy's from Newark, that guy's from trenton and this guy's from this place and like it's all it's all jersey it was easy to split people up i guess with hip-hop back then Real Tri- easy. Tribalism. People. Oh yeah, deep. People have to come up with something. Like yeah, but it's all New Jersey and it's all the same kind of music. No, we no, have it's to. Not. It's okay. Well, it's all. It, it, it's it's all in East Orange. No, 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 no. It's not <laughs> the same block. We don't like that. Right, block. right. Yeah. We just, only like guys that rhyme streets. on this block. Oh my god, so ridiculous. 
All right, we on the same block. No, 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 no. You ain't from the same building. It's not. It's not the same projects. (laughs) We have to hate you now. It's unbelievable, bro. But that shit was a big part of how people express themselves in hip hop. The only, the only thing that I think we uh, we skipped was when southern stuff started happening. Because I I don't remember anybody just disliking the South specifically. I remember people not liking certain stuff. Like I've never heard anybody say they didn't like Outkast because they were from the South, but I definitely heard people say they didn't like A Ball and MJG or something like that. So it wasn't um, it wasn't just a sweeping regional thing that I heard a lot about when I got to Florida. A lot of people talked about how, you know, rappers or whatever industry people or from up north wasn't showing them no respect, and like there was this whole struggle that existed. And it was like a, a big like oh y'all from up north kind of thing, and I was just I, I, it confused me because I it just it didn't hit us like that. I, I never really experienced anybody be not you know what when I first experienced people being like discriminating against the South like I don't like this Southern shit was when Little John and all that was happening. That's yeah. when it got grouped all into one thing. But before that, I, I didn't hear anybody talk about it like that. No, I think I think it was the power structure more so than I think most hip hop heads like there was things that you could appreciate about um Ape Ball and MJG and I forgot the name of the label that they I think it was like Suave House. Yeah. And they yeah, had a dude like Tila, you know, and a couple ones that came out that was like, Okay, this is pretty dope. But like Goody Ma any anything basically from the Dungeon family, I just I didn't really it was Southern, but I didn't really consider it that style. They and 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 they definitely sounded southern, but I just think that there was there was still a connection to like the 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 original music that you could kind of hear and what they were doing, but right. I think there definitely was a concerted effort at some point that a lot of that music was was marginalized, like it wasn't as favored by the industry because there was a lot of there was a lot of whack uh, New York rappers that got on before. Like really, like Southern dudes were going gold by themselves and weren't getting on, you know, the big labels because because a lot of those labels didn't want anything to do with them. But you have like, you know, I mean, he wasn't terrible, but like nine wasn't great. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like he's just great, you know, uh, over a lot of that other talent. But but I remember I got one of the most failed pieces of of digital medium ever concocted. Uh, mini disc players. Did you ever see the mini disc mm, player? Okay, yeah. so, <laughs> oh yeah. So I was one of only three people in the entire United States that had a mini disc player. I had the deck at home to transfer all the CDs, and then I, in my car, I had I had the mini disc player. So when people would come in, they'd be like, "Yo, yo, let," because that was when uh, No Limit was at its height. Right. It was like in the mid, the late nineties. And everybody, yo, yo, let me put, yo, you got to hear this new C murder. I'm sorry, man. You got it on mini disc? I can't do no. it. My bad. No, nope. <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. And what was dope about the mini disc too is you could take, you could take like a six second snippet, and it would loop it automatically. So there was this one mini disc I had that had like 300 beats on it, and you could put in there. We used to freestyle that thing for hours. Cause you just pick your beat and put it on repeat, and it would it would it wouldn't be like a CD when it brings it back to the beginning. You hear that little skip; it was seamless. That's dope. That was the only good thing about it. Otherwise, it was it was the biggest waste of six hundred dollars I've ever made in my life. Dude, my my introduction to Master P 
was I was in New Jersey. This must have been 97, <clears throat> early, like mid-97. And some dude was out on the block, and I guess he, he had just come back from down south somewhere. And this was somebody none of us knew. But he was on the block for somebody, and son was screaming and bugging out and yelling about it, about it. And we were like, yeah, it, it, he basically embodied the entire movement. <laughs> like, he was the, the, the real-life explanation <laughs> of the entirety of No Limit, Master P, Crunk, all that shit. He was just acting it out in the street. And we were like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? What is he saying? What is body, body? What is body, body? We, we had no idea what the dude was saying. And then it must have been a few months later, we started hearing the songs and shit. I was like, oh, that's what that fucking one psycho was screaming about the other day? Like, about it, about it? I was. I remember. I'll never forget that. <laughs> how how good of an introduction it was, though, because it's like you're looking at this guy, how he's acting, and like, what's the matter with him? And then you hear the music and see the videos. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. He was doing the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't just singing the song. He was doing. He was just giving us the whole rundown of what the vibe was. Dude, I remember. I remember. Uh, there was a time. And like right at the turn of the millennium, it was like the early two thousands, where everybody looked like Little Wayne. I, <laughs> it like almost happened overnight. Like every time I'd go to get gas, there'd be some dude yeah. selling CDs that looked exactly like Little Wayne. Like I got the dreads, I got the glass. Like it just became it became like a disguise. Like there right. was everywhere. Yeah, cosplay. Yes, yeah. <laughs> fucking rapper cosplay, bro. Dude, and right. as an older man now, like. I, I can't say I, I really dig any of their music. Like I, I, I had a, I tried to stay open minded to some of it. People would play things from it, but like okay, like well, I guess that's okay. Like, but people had everything. Like, yo, you gotta hear this Kane and Abel. You gotta hear this. You gotta hear this Silk the Shocker. Just and and just the fact that not being that good to make that much money, yo, bravo. bravo. Oh yeah, oh like, yeah, definitely, definitely. If any type of way that Silk the Shocker can get himself paid. He should take that opportunity. Yeah, I, no, I no remember matter what being it is. amazed. Like, try to rhyme off beat. It's really it's hard. It's really hard. It's really hard. It, That's a whole other with... talent that guy has, bro. And and he's not only is he off beat, he's consistently off beat in his own head. Like, I, I guarantee you, the mathematics of how off beat he is is always the same. He's oh. not just all over the place. He has his own silk the shocker pocket. That he's always in. <laughs> and it's ridiculous. It's absolutely I'm like, y'all don't hear that. Nobody hears that. How do he make how did this make it out of the studio? Uh, he's yo. like, nah, this guy's making a million dollars. Making a million dollars. This is, a, this right is now. around the time that Cool Keith started only oh, using oh his original cadence. He, oh, he was only using that ultra mag cadence for like a couple songs. And then he would have this. I'm like, okay, are you like, is this a troll? Are you trying? But even when you listen to it, it's like, okay, he's rushing, but he's still landing where he's supposed to land. Like, Keith, okay, I can get the, that. Or even RZA. Like RZA, there right, was a time yeah. when RZA was all over the place, but he would, he, would, he would still find a way to get back and land where he was supposed to. Right. Silk the Shocker. Silk don't I, give a shit. Any given song, I'm just, <laughs> I'm trying to find it. You don't the, give a shit, bro. It it and it's really like I remember me and my friends like we would try to freestyle like that like yo try to do Silk the Shocker and 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 nobody could do it like no <laughs> there's something in you that makes you want to hit on a kick or on a snare 
Like yeah. there's a, you're landing in a way that makes sense in between the hi-hats. But just the way that he would, it was almost like it had to have been that he just recorded it and then somebody did a beat. Like he did everything acapella without a beat. And then they just made a beat for that. That kind of makes sense. If you That's think about gotta be the only way. I could totally see him recording all his stuff whenever he want. He just come in and just record <laughs> all his lyrics and leave. And he'd be like, y'all make the songs. It's all, it's all my verses. I got 42 verses. Y'all make all the songs. Listen, this is my next three albums. Tell my cousin I, I need my check. Listen, yeah, just, just, just write it. the check. I'm going to come in. I'm going to spit them all. No beat. Oh. No metronome. There's some, some shit I wrote on the way here. Yeah, just let it fly. I wrote all forty-eight verses in the car on the way over here. So take what you take what you get. Yeah, something shocker, bro. He was special. Dude, he was special. special. I remember. I remember listening and seeing like those. Uh, those boot camp videos that Silk the Shocker's part would come up and you just would stare at the TV. It's like, how? <laughs> how, though? It's like, that's what happens when you get your own record label. You do whatever you want. Yeah. And then you never know what people are going to respond to either. That's the powerful part. Is that, that that's just, you know, the market speaking for itself. Because if people didn't like it, you know, nobody cares. Nobody's asking where Fiend is. From no right. limit, you know they, they don't care about that guy. Who cares? But they decided that Silk the Shocker was the one that they were going to support. Yo, they and they and they and they arguably changed the whole game of like people's oh, approach yeah. to it because people were like, "Listen, why are we fucking spending all this money clearing samples, and why are we doing like all of this high priced average?" Like they made it to where it's like because there was, I guess there was like kind of like a priesthood. An ideology as to what was going to sell and like they had it in their minds like yeah this is going to be a quality product and this is what we need to do and they would take mediocre dudes and they would try to kind of put them in there and they would spend all this money to make it happen and they'd get a you know a small return i'm like okay i guess that was a success not knowing it's like no you guys are trying too hard you don't need to rhyme on beat you don't need an objectively <laughs> quality product you just <sighs> You just you just need to capture a dedicated fan base. You got to right. tap into something into a culture that people are just gonna love religiously, and that's it. And they will let listen. Wu Tang put out a lot of mediocrity after the solo albums, you know, and yeah, people were yeah. still like uh, buying everything. Yeah, buying everything. even to this day, it's like they're iconic, dude. There's freaking yeah. legendary status, and a lot of it. I mean, of course, there's. There's like the diehard fans, and then there are the people who are on the next ring outward where they don't really know as much about it, but they still think it's cool. And then there's yeah. like a whole nother ring of people who just see the hashtag and, and want to be part of something. So I'm like, it's a lot of waves to it. But I mean, they definitely have a huge free. And I, I really don't personally get it for all of them because I'm not a fan of everybody the way a lot of people are. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I listen to a couple of them, some of them I can't stand. Like I, really, I bought the first You Got album. Oh, I, I bought I bought the first You Got album. It wasn't my, it wasn't the strongest outing. <laughs> my, my condolences. Extra <laughs> large, super charge. Yeah, I don't want to. I'm not even gonna talk about You Got, bro. That's a, that's a whole nother conversation but about he, he's, he's, how he even got involved in that whole thing. Something that's iconic and world changing as the Wu Tang experience. And you have a you god. Listen, but the mystery of chess boxing, I mean, 
he 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 killed that. That was maybe one. I mean, it might have been he might have crushed it early. I mean, there's a he's great as being a dude on the record. Like like the far side, you know, a Fat Lip could have had maybe a solo album. Slim Kid Trey could have had a solo album. I don't think I would have listened to an Imani or a Booty Brown's uh uh solo album, right? But they sounded really good in that context. I think you God's one of those dudes. Like if he just would have. You know, come in with the with the sixteen on a couple of songs each album. You're good. You know, it given him the creative coached, control. A yeah. closely coached sixteen. Like, don't just let him go yeah. and do whatever he wants. <laughs> you make sure he's in the writer's room. Everybody's in there together. <laughs> Can't just have you got out on his own writing verses and shit. But even nah, uh, <laughs> what was what was it? Um, uh, a better tomorrow off of um, Wu Tang Forever. Like he yeah. killed that. Like he's he's got a couple of bright spots, and then he has a couple that you just kind of you kind of hide your head in shame. Like, Ugh, yeah. I kind of yeah. cringe with you, dude. What do you? Well, doing? I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it all the way real. I can't tolerate Ghostface. I can't. Wow. That's kind of like sacrilege. But I know. I know. I'm gonna keep but it I, but all I, the way I re- real, son. But I, I, I respect can't. your your audacity and candor, bro. I can't tolerate him, bro. Like, and I I understand it's the screaming. It's not the screaming. Okay. It's like to me, Ghostface is like a smarter, more aggressive Greg Nice. <laughs> because Hold Greg Nice just okay. he just says the most random shit. He can't he can't hold a thought together for more than two bars. He's somewhere <laughs> else. He's automatically somewhere else. Hello, I hate Jello. I knew a fat girl who broke the scale. You know, like he just every verse you ever hear from Greg Nice, he's like he's talking about one thing. Two bars later, he's completely someplace else, just saying some random shit. My favorite card, right? After marriage, the honeymoon, gagging with the spoon. Who loves Popeye? He's bugging all the way out. One hundred percent, Greg Nice is bugging, and that's Ghostface. Is a smarter, more aggressive Greg Nice. Ghostface would just be like, "Yo, the Wallaby, watermelon funk, walking down the street." <laughs> like, even like, "Yo, where? What are you talking about, son?" He just rambles off the most random phrases, and he makes them rhyme. I'll give him that much. I understand he's not whack, but he definitely is deep into his "I'm speaking my own language" flow. Him and Raekwon, him and Raekwon both, they just be. Saying shit, bro. <laughs> Listen, I, I still don't. He had sugar in his ear in his last crack career. I don't, bro. I don't know. I what? Listen. Like, what for? For me, going back, like as as a kid, I didn't, I didn't really get. I got like the the in your face punchlines, you know, if it's right. a direct metaphor. But once I kind of got that, okay, this is all about uh, selling crack. It's like it was a, it was like the Rosetta Stone. I'm like, oh, like all the <laughs> all the stories made more sense. All the skits made more sense. I'm like, why are they beating him up? What is he talking about? This is his shit. This is oh, his I shit. Did. I don't get it. Huh? Why is he mad? Oh. There's five fiends around him. I don't understand. What's the problem? Fiends. No, 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 he's selling, he's fiends? not supposed to be selling crack there. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I could get that. I remember the thing that unlocked my brain that rap actually made sense. Like, it's funny. It's gonna sound funny, but rap didn't make sense to me for a long time. It was kind of just people saying stuff that rhymed. So there wasn't any. I wasn't following any storylines. I wasn't picking up the overall point of the song. It was just like dancing and talking. It was like, oh, this is cool. 
until I heard my philosophy. And when I when I heard my philosophy, it was like, wait a minute, this I was following, you know, the the train of thought from the beginning to the end. Like I can understand that there was a point. It wasn't just music and dancing and talking. I was like, wait a minute, something's happening here. And it was like from that point on, I understood all of it. But that wow. song, yeah, for some reason, it was like, wait, I think I think he has a point. I think he's actually putting thoughts together. <laughs> Shit is making sense. This is crazy. Yeah, I think I think Ghostface has some. I think Ghostface has Ghost Riders now, because there's there's a couple of times where he's way more coherent. Most of his stuff I can justify. Like okay, like he's either he's either like using the supreme alphabet to say like a coded message, right? Or he's he's really he's really being abstract in the way he's describing his his wardrobe and then there's things like for the most part i could hear a ghost face verse and i can be like okay i can make sense of that the only the only time where i just couldn't understand what the fuck he was talking about and it's arguably his best work is supreme clientele there's a couple of songs on supreme clientele where nope you can't make that make sense stop it like okay <laughs> like it's seasoned it's like okay, yo Ray, let's season their broth. Okay, that that's a creative way of you know uh, uh, initiating <laughs> violence. Okay, let's season their broth. I get let's it. Season their broth. Right? It sounds violent at all. It sounds like you're right? about to help these fellas <laughs> out. Let's do something really nice for uh, okay. these guys. <laughs> right? But but that's the thing is that because that's what made him unique is that he would really just yeah I'm just gonna make some shit up. I'm gonna make like nobody says this. But I'm just gonna I'm gonna say it. And you're gonna have to figure out what the fuck I'm talking about. But when he came through with uh, seasoned giraffe ribs, I just I checked out. I'm like, okay, I can't. Uh, what are you talking about with seasoned giraffe ribs? Just there's there's shit, no bro. place to sell those. You just saying shit. And and Raekwon Raekwon lost me forever once he said Mediterranean Sea, y'all. That's when I got off that train. I was like, you know what? I'm good with Rayquad from now on. I think I'm straight. <laughs> I think I'm but straight. Yeah. I'm good. No, I'm good. We're straight. <laughs> but one one of the greatest flows of all time, though. But but maybe but maybe that's the trade off. Like I can right. I can always be right there, butter smooth in the pocket on every syllable. But like, I'm gonna listen, say Mediterranean right. Sea, y'all. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make some <laughs> we're That's gonna we're get. gonna take some creative license. We're gonna have to take some L's on the the sensicalness, the the yeah. sensibility of some of this. But right. yeah, man, the KRS one and I when I first saw him, I couldn't. I was young and dumb, so I'm like, is bougie down productions? Like I, I oh, couldn't. Nice. <laughs> but I felt better because when I got older, more people were like, yeah, I used to think it was bougie down productions too when I'd see it uh, when the video would come on. But he, like, I remember in that era, like, everybody had a, there was, like, a universal reverence for him, like, as kind of being the the dude, you know what I mean? Like, right. the, the authority on everything, like, if you were gonna, like, if you were gonna compare verses, and he didn't always have, you know, like, the, you know, the, the illest flow or the most creative concepts, but like you said, he, you never, it was always clear as day what the fuck he was talking about. Yeah. I think somebody that uh that makes that trade off a lot of times is Buster Rhymes. Like if you listen to a lot of old Buster Rhymes, he he knows his style and his his limits pretty well, especially back then. I don't think he was really trying to out rap 
nobody lyrically, but he had so much flow and cadence and shit that it just yeah. made it sound worlds, worlds ahead of everybody else. Yeah. But he wasn't like super duper. Like if you go back and really listen to it, he wasn't no super duper lyrical. Like somebody like Black Thought. Black right. Thought has always been he's had crazy lyrics, he's had dope flows, but pretty much when you listen to him, you know dudes on some shit. But some people are I think style over substance. There's a few of them who get away with that. But I th- but Buster Rhymes is a person I I would have to say he's probably the best style over substance rapper that, that we've had in a, for a long time. Yeah, you you could make that argument. Yeah, for a long time. He's one of the best to be in that category. He's probably the he might be the best to be in that particular category. I can't think of many people who have more like even with Redman, right? Redman is right in the middle. He don't really be talking about a whole lot, but he definitely has bars and he definitely has witty style he's fun to listen to and shit like that but he definitely has i would say more bars than somebody like buster Ooh, yeah i think red man down on on paper i think red man has more bars than buster but buster has so much versatility and style and like dude he's all over the place you know and he's and it's always entertaining red man is kind of you know there's a difference between i say you know from his first album to the whole cosmic slop shit he was into and all yeah. of that. But over time, if you take his evolution as a rapper over time, I think he, he don't have too many. Uh, it's a pretty straight line almost. You know, he, he he's yeah. as dope. He, he's been as dope as he was ever going to be for the last, you know, 15 years. Buster Rhymes, I think, has had evolved more. He he made more of a transition into being somebody who was super dope, but uh, he I think he's made more change than Redman over time. But I think Redman got more bars. Yeah, I think I think um, I think it's like the the Karis one Rakim thing where Rakim always kind of stayed in his lane. He didn't venture too far away from what he did and did well. Right. You know? And I think I think Redman found his sound on uh, there is a dark side. And yep. then he kind of just ran with it ever since. And he's yep. got a formulated same thing with Method Man. Like Method Man, he like when you first heard him, you know, in the early 90s, the precision in which he'd lay down his, his bars and be like spot on with each syllable. Like, and he was really clever the way that he did it. And he never really changed that up. And that's still dope to this day, the way that he does yeah. it. Oh, yeah. But, but it's but it's not. Like, he's never ventured really much further away from that. Like, he's got it down pat, and that that's all he tries to do. Yeah, yeah. That's when, that's the whole point with somebody, like I was saying, like, about Ghostface, bro. He he got into that vibe, and he realized that this is what people were digging about it. And, you know, I guess people talking, deciphering lyrics or whatever it was. And he was like, oh, y'all like that shit? Okay. And then he just went all the way left with it over time. And I just stopped after a while, I just stopped listening. I was like, I can't even do it no more. Have you heard recent Ghostface? No. Not the most recent. Okay. So no. uh Fish Scale, uh More Fish was pretty dope. Um there's a couple of even with um oh what was the other one? Apollo Kids. Did you ever hear Apollo Kids the album, not the song? No. Okay, yeah, yeah. Do yourself a favor. He's got a song on there with Black Thought. Yo, Apollo Kids is, is probably one of his best shit. And, and that's why I started thinking, like, maybe people were ghostwriting for him. Because, uh, you know, because uh, you hear punchlines like, uh, more green than celery. 
which which is which is arguably super duper simple. <laughs> it's pretty him, simple. Right, but it's remarkably coherent from what you would expect from a Ghostface. Like it's right. right on the nose in your face. He's and he's got a couple songs with Mad Lib, like uh, this one called uh, Block Rock, that I think he had on uh, More Fish, and just his. This is the thing about him is, is I definitely get the the style over substance thing. Like he he definitely found his niche. He'll have these moments where he's super clear, like there's just clarity, like um. When he's telling a story, he tends to be more, more direct. Like there's a like that verse he did on Impossible, where he talks about holding his friend as he's dying. Um, right. All that I got is you, you know. Like like then I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then there'll be stuff where yeah, he's just he's completely in, in left field. But he started getting more like more more punchlining on some of his latest stuff. And even though concept albums are usually pretty lame, and the skits I think are still kind of corny. But the the actual sonically the 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 sounds that he's got on there with the the Adrian Young shit, the Twelve Reasons to Die he did like two of them, yo those were those were great man Be- beats and rhymes, great and then he got a live band called the Revelations where he did the Thirty Six Seasons and then he got a uh, another live band album with this group called Bad Bad Not Good, I think they're like some Canadian band yo they're the shit. And uh, it's it called out. Sour Soul, dude. It's it's fucking great. And he's he's more coherent as he's gotten older. Like I think the height of him, <laughs> it it was it was late nineties, early two thousands. Like probably Supreme Clientele and the Pretty Tony album were the height of him. Just what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, Greg Nyson. Yo, to the fuck. <laughs> and it's brilliant that you made that observation because I would have never put that together but now that you mention it yeah man greg greg nice got away with a lot because he just sounded good with his style yeah he got the shortest attention span in hip-hop bro yeah. <laughs> he's like a cat playing with yarn like a little kitten like what yeah, so yeah. easily distracted <laughs> he's super easily distracted bro he is not he's like i got a lot to talk about now i got a few bars to do it <laughs> I got a lot of shit I want to say. I, thought, I had a lot of thoughts on the way to the studio. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, even within the... Because usually, and I think everybody, if you tried to write rhymes, everybody's guilty of just completely changing subjects from one bar to the next. Because you just, you know, you're trying to find some shit that rhymes. So, you know, okay, oh, this is a dope line. All right, let me string it together with this line. But it's not necessarily coherent. You kind of okay. got to get it's it's some it's some silk the shocker type credit you got to give them for like even within the same bar. Hey, yo, Dizzy, it's somewhere totally different. Sax, myself, I love to max. He's already changed. He's already gone. I thought we were talking about Dizzy Gillespie. What happened? Like, Greg, Greg, stay focused. Greg's all over the place, bro. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, Greg's uh, all over the place. My man, bro. That's yo, the yeah, where you listen yeah, to man, him? I'm going back to he say, she say. I heard it through the grapevine. No static. Got an automatic. <laughs> Too what? much of anything makes you an addict. Hey, so, Greg, okay. Greg, hold on. Greg. <laughs> Greg, slow down. Go back a few lines. All right, all right. So what I want to do is I want to promote self-defense, right? But I want to, <laughs> but I want to take that in to keeping people to do things in moderation. 
right? So I want to stress these ideas. I got it. I, I know how I'll convey it. You don't want to dedicate maybe a couple bars to each concept. Not enough time. Nope. <laughs> Yo, I got, I so got a lot I want to go over. <laughs> I definitely got to mention Popeye and Alice the Goon for sure. I can't let this verse go by without mentioning Popeye and Alice the Goon. Oh. Yeah, oh. bro. Yeah. That's that's Ghostface right there. That's, that's the father yeah. of Ghostface's Dunk. style. <laughs> it's fucking Greg Nice, bro. That's the evolution of the Pokemon. Yeah. Greg Nice evolves into Ghostface Killer. <laughs> and I'm sure and Dr. Octagon's in there somewhere. Oh. Yeah, he's 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 on a whole nother level, man. I re- I remember when he lost his mind. <laughs> and maybe he was always a little bit touched. Like I got a couple friends that said they met him in real life. And like, nah, man, he's really he's just really not all there, man. He's, he's <laughs> I believe he does. But dude, when he I think it was, you know, even even Dr. Octagon, it was kind of it was kind of weird, right? But he still it, he, you could still find Keith in there. Keith was still in there. But once well, he got that's to Dr. Point. Doom, Keith was crazy too. Yeah, but he was, I mean, he was, I guess, I guess what it was is, I, I and I could kind of understand it, like, he, I guess he just got so disgusted with, like, how, like, the, the parameters in which you had to do things. And he's like, look, I kind of, I kind of fathered some of this scientific lyrical shit, like, Nah, I'm not, you know, to, to kind of be like almost snobby about it. Like he was like, okay, I got something for your ass. Like I'm, I'm going to get on this record and talk about moose pimples. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> like he, he, he went, but when that Dr. Doom came out and he's talking about pushing body parts and shopping carts, it's like, all right, Keith, Keith is gone. There is, yeah, there yeah. is, I think he had like maybe two songs at <laughs> like a, it was like a 20 track album. <laughs> And he had he had maybe two songs where he had the um that 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 original cool Keith like cadence and flow. We're yeah. like, okay, I recognize this guy. But everything else was like, yo, he's just I don't I don't know, man. I, I that that hate evolved and that resent I don't know what whatever was driving him, whatever was that fuel, like it boosted him out of the atmosphere. He was gone. He's like, I've, I'm never coming back to this planet. You will yeah, never see done. me again. Yeah, I remember that uh that Dr. Octagon album. I remember being around Seton Hall College and with some weird college kids who had got a hold of some crazy music and they was letting us all listen to it. Because this is I don't think anybody in my hood would have had that shit. And if they did, they wouldn't have brought it outside for nobody else to hear. <laughs> it, it, I had to hear it from these crazy college kids. And I was like, well, I, I was completely confused. I I didn't even know at the time who the guy was. I just knew he said it was Dr. Octagon. So I didn't know it was like ultra magnetic. Like I didn't, I didn't make that connection yet. But I was, this dude is out of his fucking mind. Definitely a psycho. At that yeah. time anyway. I don't know, you know how he's doing now. But he, that, that Dr. Octagon shit was off the wall, bro. It's crazy. And he, he, and he just went further and further. Like in every, everybody I knew, because it was one of those things like, you know, when when like Lord Jamar was making that point about like, you know, people in the hood don't don't really mess with Eminem. Like, I, I kind of understand what he's saying. And there is like a certain kind of like cool factor that like that shit is corny. Like it, it's a different it's a different kind of vibe. Like you got to appreciate it on a different level. And yeah. like in my circle, there was only one other person I could talk to that that could appreciate cool keys. Like, I don't give a fuck. You know, it was it was like Bismarcky 
old dirty bastard, you know, with a with to, with an exponent, you know, uh, with some crazy number, and then you get the cool Keith. But yeah, yeah mo- most people were like, nah, man, I can't. What the fuck is this? And sometimes you get a kick out of just putting it on and seeing how people react to it. Like, and it was definitely more geared towards like, or I guess his fan base like tra- changed to it was it was like a lot of a lot of college kids, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because those are the same people who were listening to um to Company Flow and all of that other, you know, it was some yeah. like some weird at the time when you frame it against everything else that we were listening to, it was some weirdo hip hop. Yeah. Back then, that's what that shit was. It was weirdo hip hop. It was like these guys are barely on beat. Their beats themselves sound like somebody sampled some pots and pans falling down the <laughs> stairs or something like. Like they, it was just so uh, like uh, what's the word? It, it just industrial like this crazy. What was thing. it? Fun, Fun Crusher Deluxe. Yeah, Fun Crusher yeah, Plus. It was, it was. It was weird, man. Compared to everything. Really else, strange sounds, and it would be these weird beats. Like they would have these intros, and you listen to the beat. Like I, I don't, I kind of don't get it. And then somebody would just come in, like, oh, a matter, matter of a stagnant beverage man with a bat, and you're like, yo, yeah. hold on, slow. What's what's happening? It was the <laughs> craziest shit. Nobody knew what to do with that, but the people who we found who was listening to it. They were already completely indoctrinated. They were like, oh, you ain't up on this shit, huh? I'm like, bro, yeah, this yeah. shit crazy. What are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean we ain't up on this? But they had their own little world. They had a whole nother world. I remember meeting these kids and like they, they would get into ciphers and rap completely different than everybody else was rapping because of what they were into. It was and and it, which all turned out to be, you know, some of the stuff that Rock has turned down, I guess. You know, it was a whole bunch of people, vast air and just a bunch of uh Wild. I think a lot of them ended up signing the Def Jooks with LP. So I think he he reached out and grabbed a lot of the people who was in that cipher because of uh, Sir Menelik, all these other. It yeah. was a lot of people who had the same the same kind of energy, and they were doing their whole lyricist lounge thing kind of vibe too. It was all rapping with each other, doing songs with each other, so it was easy to find one person to the next person to the next because they was all working with each other. And it, and it's a thin line, man. It's a thin line because arguably De La it walked up closest to the weirdo line without going all the way over. Right. Like, we, like De La is still, for whatever reason, considered, it's still considered in that, you know, that, that um, I guess that, that you know, native tongues, but not, but I'm thinking of a, of a broader term, but I don't want to say like, but if you, if you think of like hip hop as like a canon, <clears throat> and you got to kind of categorize everything. You don't put them in that weirdo category, but they're right. arguably right there, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of that. What? What are you talking about? But I think I think it's the energy of it because Dela and Native Tongue they all kind of lean towards that hippie tribal Pan African. Yeah. So that was something we were I, not not used to, but I think something that was easier to accept rather yeah. than fucking. Than like grave diggers or some weirdo right. shit like that. Like that was a whole different energy. They were still weird, but if I'm gonna be weird, I think we'll do the the daisies and the whole native tongue abstract vibe before right. we get into some of this other wild shit. That was totally left field at the time. Yeah, but cause, I, cause LP you, grew into yeah, a LP grew into a pretty amazing. MC though, like, I would have never guessed from listening back then because I was so disconnected from what they were doing, and they were right at home doing some shit that we had just never heard of or been exposed to at all. 
and it, they didn't sound like amateurs either. It wasn't just like they didn't know what they were doing. They were just doing some shit we had no idea about. Yeah, I feel like the um the the four horsemen were like the gateway drug over to that that weirdo nerd rap. Like Killer Priest, mm. Cannabis, Razkaz, like they were they were there. Like the heightened super lyrical, you got to go look this up cuz you don't know what year, you know, the the kingdom right, of right. Tartlandia fell. So you <laughs> right. don't get the you don't get the metaphor. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I definitely dig that, especially with um who uh Razcash you said. Because I remember, you know, of course that what was yeah, it called? So nice. Yeah. That was just like that was a world changer. That was definitely a world changer. And right? the beats weren't even that good. You know, it wasn't they didn't have to be the production with that great. Yeah, just just following him. And what he was laying down, yeah, that was like one of my favorite records in '96, man. Yeah, I love that album. Yeah, cannabis, cannabis changed the world too. I remember him hitting those mixtapes, and we was listening. That dude was a fucking robot to us back then. He was a cyborg, yeah. bro. He was a cyborg. There was nobody on fucking earth rapping like that dude. The shit that he was saying, the easy put it all together with. We was yeah, revolutionary shit. I remember that. Dude, he people forget like he was the the you know fourth quarter cleanup rapper like you know coming through with the last verse yep. on a whole bunch of songs. Yeah, like he he was Capadonna Winter Wars on like mm-hmm. ten to fifteen out you know songs before he even got talked about being on an album. Yeah, man, he was he, he was, was crazy, man. Yeah, he was serious. I never forget that time, man, because we were all rapping too. You know, we was finding ciphers to jump in, and it was a big part of our lifestyle because you could go anywhere and see a bunch of dudes either sitting on a bus rapping or at the train. They, they, it was just happening everywhere at the time. So we would all we would jump into ciphers pretty much anywhere we was at and try to catch them shine. So hearing that dude was just like, I think we need to step our fucking yeah, game up. Yeah, yeah, if there's people out there rapping like this, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're going to have to step it up. We're going to have to take this shit seriously. Yo, definitely um, got, got me into reading. Like, oh, I read, sure. I, I read, I read On the Nature of Threat and um, uh, Soul on Ice just because of that dude. I'm like, all right, all right. I, this is based on a book. I need to get this book. Yeah. And then, and then I remember reading Soul on Ice and like having to look up, like, what the fuck is Iconoclast? Like I don't understand what this word is. Like what assuage? Assuage? Like I remember all the words I had to look up reading that because I'm like, all right, this is above. This is above my skill set. Yeah. As a as a 15 year old. You know they didn't even have no crazy beats like you said. The beats weren't crazy, but uh, they were definitely. That's I guess that's why they were the gateway because they still had a lot of flow that like we were used to. They were still kind of in that pocket that we were comfortable with. Whereas people like LP and all of them were totally all the way left. The beats yeah. were nuts, almost offbeat. A lot of time when you listen to them, they felt like they were offbeat. And they would just come in rapping however the fuck they wanted to rap. Like, they didn't clear this with anybody. They're totally off the <laughs> They're all the way out of bounds right now. But it was dope, though. I remember being intrigued by that shit. Yeah, but- it's it's almost like, you know... And going out of the way to not be dope in the conventional sense, you know, right. like if it, so everything that you would think in, in terms of convention that makes sense and makes songs work is almost like they're going out of the way to, to fly in the face of that. Like, I think 
probably the best beat on Raz Kaz's album was the the joint he did with Coolio. I, I can't remember the name of it. Um, drama. Mm. Uh, you know, it was drama, but it sound real good. Okay, and, okay, yeah. And Coolio's, it's got like a flute sample in it. That was probably the, the best beat. And there was a couple others that were okay, but for the most part, it was like, and that's why I was so excited about that, um, uh, the Soul on Ice remix where he got Diamond D in there. Mm. I was like, okay, this is what you need to be doing all the time, dude. Like, yeah. find, find Diamond D, you know, make your whole record with him. You know, get get this kind of sound going. Yeah, smart guy rap, yo. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that was the backpacker movement. That's what that was, the backpackers, yep. they called it. And, uh, and LP and them were definitely trying to do the exact opposite. I remember, what was it on um, Deep Space 9mm? I think it was, by LP. And he says, sign the raucous. I'd rather be mouthfucked by Nazis unconscious. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that's how he felt about signing to Rockus Records, and Rock, and that was like what we what we thought at the time, as consumers and fans and shit. We thought Rockus was like the mecca, bro. Yeah. That's like that's where every real MC wants to be is Rockus, right? And LP so, yeah. comes out like, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> yeah, r- really. I mean, Rockus kind of represented like the that last bastion of like that that what was considered that the authentic sound, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Here's yeah. Shit was crunk. Music was coming in. Yeah. A lot of that, uh, a lot of that P Diddy, all that shit yeah. was happening. Heavy, all the shiny suits and the hype Williams videos. Yeah. All man. that shit was heavy. Shit was changing, but I, I have to say we didn't feel as much. I think the older I got, the more strange it started to look to me. Cause at first, like there was nothing to me. There was nothing wrong. I didn't ask myself any questions about why the, the locks were in shiny suits. Mm. Like I didn't question. I didn't ask myself any questions about that. Once the culture started asking the questions, I kind of got on board with it. it. Was like, yeah, kind of. I see because you know, shiny suit and shiny suits are soft, right. and like I kind of got it. But seeing them watching the video didn't didn't matter it didn't trigger it didn't raise any flags for me it didn't make me feel disconnected from the culture where are we going it was just a rap video to me right and 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 there's a degree of snobbery that kind of emerges too you know because i remember that was like nah you're not you're not authentic but like you said you can go back and look at you know some of them old you know funkadelic commodore records and see the shit that people are wearing and it's it's Man. it's in, it's indefensible. <laughs> they, well, and they were getting ass, so it's not like oh, a lot. Yeah, right. More a lot. <laughs> a so, whole lot. Right. So it's hard to make that that argument. And again, like especially now, like you know, as a, as an adult that invests money, like you you want a return on investment. So as much as you kind of hate the pressure that comes about, there is kind of a happy median where. You're you're having a degree of mass appeal, and it, there's a there's an element of refinement to it, but still having some some degree of authenticity and creative control. Like there there's there's a there's a balance to be struck. If you go all one way or the other, shit shit can get pretty weird, or shit can get formulaic to the point that is boring. So yeah. I mean I you know I, if if there's money on the line, especially like I put myself in their position. Like, what is all that gratitude and respect from people really going to do for you at the end of the day? Like, strangers strangers that I'll never meet are either talking shit behind my back 
or they're talking about how glad they am, you know, glad they they are that I'm still broke. <laughs> so right. if it's like, hey, put put on the shiny suit, fuck it, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put on the shiny suit. Yeah. You know, I think hip hop could go all the way in that direction if it wanted to, just like those dudes from back in the 70s, bro. You watch some of those videos of these guys performing these songs, the clothes they wear, the freaking no shirt with suspenders on and shit. They was wilding all the yeah. way out. And nobody thought nothing about it because it's a it's a line that separates regular people from celebrities. So it's like when you when you a celebrity and you perform it. You can get away with a lot of shit. Nobody wants to see nobody walking down the street with a pair of silver wings on and a fucking body <laughs> suit. Like, get the fuck out of here with that. I got shit to do. But if you Patty LaBelle and you on stage, right? You know what I'm saying? Let's rock. You know, you you be excited yeah. about that shit. Patty had on wings last night. Right. You know, you'll be excited. So I think if they decided to go deep into the whole entertainment factor and the artistry, the craftsmanship that it took to come up with that kind of shit for these groups. And like, cause these weren't clothes that they could just go buy. You know what I'm saying? Right. They wasn't just going down to the, to the mall to buy these fucking purple outfits with the sequins on it. <laughs> and shit. Somebody had to make that shit. So I think if, if hip hop wanted to, they could go all the way in that direction. Not only could they do it, it would probably end up being a net positive for the culture itself because I think it would automatically cut down on violence automatically right. just because everybody got silver wings <laughs> you know what I'm saying <laughs> if everybody just start wearing outfits like the Commodores yeah and it, oh, it would be some old heads complaining of course people our age would be like oh they feminizing all this bullshit but put them dudes on stage let them learn some start learning dance routines again and, and, and that was and, and 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 I think there's a romantic romanticization I think is how you say it of you know late 80s early 90s like those groups weren't around like there wasn't you know Father MC or like Redhead Kingpin there was some like you know everybody wasn't Cool G you know right right Cool G rap so there there was people dancing and there was just corny music and the, you know what I mean it wasn't so, but it, it the way that it gets talked about is like, yeah, you know, it was Public Enemy, is Eric B and Rakim and Boogie Down Productions, and it's like, yeah, but that's not that's not all that was going on. Yeah, well, all that other shit, yeah, who cares about that other shit? It's like, yeah, but it was still a part of it, you know. Right. You, you know, you could throw on Rob Bass um, uh, and DJ Easy Rock that uh, I want to rock right now. People fucking love that song. And that oh, shit, yeah. that's an old-ass song that crossed all kinds of bit. And you were saying he had some Greg Nicisms in there, too. Like, oh, for I sure. I like the Whopper fucked the Big Mac. <laughs> like, <laughs> thanks for sharing. Appreciate you letting us yeah, know. Let us know how you really feel, bro. Right. All of a sudden, there's like this, this demand that they everybody has given us this profound enlightenment. Like, we're looking to, like, and I, I remember that being heavy in the 90s. Like, yeah, but what are you doing to uplift our consciousness and uplift the culture? And then, like, why the fuck is it that guy's job? Because the, right. the moment that you're signing a record deal, like, you've agreed that this is a form of entertainment. Like, to, to try to preserve that level of authenticity at this point is, is out the window. Like, if you want to, if you really want to preserve the authenticity... Don't ever do it as a job. Like, don't make any money off it. That's the only right. way. And nobody would argue that that's the idea is that everybody's going to make it that pure, that nobody's going to make any money off of it. But as far as, like, the feminization, because I know that seems to be, like, a ubiquitous complaint 
amongst older heads of what's going on now. It's like, oh, yeah, they're trying to make us all gay. They're trying to turn us all into Magic Johnson's son. This is some bullshit. You know, we need to be, you know, the, the image of, of us being angry and killing each other needs to be upheld at all costs. Yeah, that's and the when, standard. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, and, that's and the if gold you, standard. But, dude, you know, remember I was telling you, like, and, and I don't know if you watched those videos that I sent you. Like, now when you go back and look at that, that Mr. Yeah. Rogers shit, you yeah. see it. You it's see bad, it. Bro. it. You it can't sucks. unsee it. it it's sucks. like what a beautiful day for a beauty. What the fuck are you talking? I've been waiting for a neighbor like you. That shit know, fucking man. comes at you another way. Not Watch fair. those early '90s videos where it's it is no women. It's a bunch of dudes. Everybody's angry. Some of the dudes got you know their shirts off. Like you know, I love Onyx Slam. That's like a homoerotic. Video. Yeah, I blame like, all of this, all of it. Any, any, any gripe that anybody has about the de, about the feminization or demasculinization of hip hop or the homo agenda in hip hop, any, any of that, I blame it all on DMX. <laughs> all of it, one hundred percent, all on DMX, bro, because he brought a lot of shit with him. That probably should have been left out of the culture, bro. He brought a lot of this weird prison shit. Like, it was already <laughs> there. It was already there. But DMX really, like, emboldened people to get weird with this prison <laughs> slang and vibe and this... Right, right. You look at that. Look at that, that, uh, that stop, drop, all that whole shit, whatever that song is. Right. Go watch that video, bro. It's a bunch of dudes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> a whole bunch of dudes with their shirts off, being but mad yeah, aggressive. Right, I'm gonna have to show niggas how easily we blow niggas. <laughs> I'm hey, listen, I'm, I'm just hey, look, I, I hey, you can't make this stuff up. Yo, DMX has some extremely questionable content. <laughs> as far as I mean, you know. Shit gets weird in hip hop. I know people talk a lot of shit. They say a lot of weird shit. But DMX has some questionable, very aggressively homosexual energy about a lot of his his lyrics, bro. Something's up. You you can't you can't defend it. I was talking to somebody the other day, man. Um, I can't remember, but it was like a younger dude, and he was getting into Tupac. And I was, I think, I I I want to say it was uh my girlfriend's son's friend and he was trying to get into music and he would and and i will we're explaining it was me and somebody else talking to him the, the point of it I'm, I'm fucking up the story the, the but the bottom line was like he was you know talking about tupac and how authentic he was and da, da, da. i'm like dude you probably haven't seen it like go look at the cover of all eyes on me like go look at that um i remember it was about selling records for women like, if you want to have a career in music, you sell records for women. Like, dudes may say that they love you and they support you. They're not going to buy your album like women will buy your album. I'm like, and the way that you know that this dude knew that is when the cover of All Eyes on Me, like, I didn't notice it at the time. It's probably one of the gayest photos of all time. <laughs> if he's got on, he's got on a leather romper with no shirt. Like... Like did did you know? And I know you're just saying about the whole you know. There's a degree of there's a degree of performance, and people are gonna wear shit that they wouldn't wear. But like that was some. I'm I'm trying to look sexy to sell records, and I'm not mad right. at. Yeah. It. Like I'm oh, not. Yeah, you like, get it. Yeah, get I understand. It. 
Right, because because dudes will talk shit. They'll hate on you. They they're all finicky. If too many people like you, because again, it was that whole snobby vibe. Like uh, everybody knows about Killer Army now. Well, fuck Killer Army. I don't want to buy Killer Army's second album. Like that that mentality was there. But when you look at it, it's like yeah, this is this is all questionable shit because there's a, there's any number of videos that you can go pull at random. You won't see a single girl in the whole video. And it's just crowds of dudes just bumping all on top of each other and asserting how hard they are. It's like there's about to be some violent gay orgies taking place. Yeah, violent ones too. Violent ones too. Yeah, that's the key right there. Because we can't just be happy about the shit we about to do. Right. There's no love. We gotta be angry. No, we can't. We gotta be angry. We got because you know that. Yeah, it's bugged out. Everybody's DMX, going I blame home DMX, with concussions man. and bloody assholes. <laughs> Everybody's going. I blame DMX, bro. For real, every time somebody brings that shit up, or I see yeah. a conversation, if I have time, I'll comment. Like this shit all goes goes back to DMX. <laughs> it's his fault. Origin story. Listen, yeah. DMX. He might not. He might not have. You could argue maybe that he didn't completely start it, but he crystallized it. Oh yeah, he he gave yeah. it a face. Galvanized and, and a it. <laughs> he galvanized it, bro. Uh, he gave him. A, he gave the movement mind. a face. <laughs> He gave the boom. Bro, he make this make sense. He said, You niggas remind me of a strip club. Because every time you come around, it's just like I gotta get my dick sucked. Yeah. What yeah. how what is he? Is there just some kind of deeper philosophical double entendre that I'm missing and I don't get it? Or is he basically saying that dudes make him horny? I I I you know what? I, I didn't really know him as like a super punchliney rapper where you could really unlayer, you know, layer of meaning of meaning upon meaning. I, I don't know, man. I don't know how not just to take that at face value. Yeah, I'm just saying if it's something did, I'm missing. Did he have a line too, like something about it gets my dick hard? I could I could be misremembering it. He did now that I think about it. I I I, I was in the height of my snobbery at that time. So I, I really wasn't like a super DMX fan when he came out. Like I didn't I didn't get it. Like he kind of had a weird flow to me, you know, but I didn't I didn't see why everybody thought he was the dopest shit ever at the time. Like um I liked Cameron better at the time. I liked um uh cannabis at the time, you know. So he would he didn't strike me as even on that um you know uh I think he was on five four three two one the LL Cool J shit where yeah. I believe DMX was on there. And, you know, and I heard everybody, and Cannabis' verse to me was the best. And so I heard yeah. this dude on there, and I'm like, you don't even sound like you're up to par to really be on there. But as I got older, I kind of appreciated him more. But after his first album, I didn't buy any more of his albums because it was like, he was everywhere. And every, people that you never even knew listened to hip-hop, all of a sudden, everybody loves DMX. And there was just something about it where, like, it turned you, you know, when you're in the height of your snobbery. I'm like, oh, everybody likes DMX. Well, fuck it. I can't. I can't go buy. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, Blood of My Blood. I'm like, I yeah. stop after it's dark and hell is hot. I'm out. Yeah. When I heard, I was done with DMX. When I heard my, she must have been 11 at the time. My 11 year old cousin had headphones on, and she was outside. And I'm walking into my grandmother's house. My 11 year old cousin is standing outside with headphones on. And she doesn't really see me because she's into the music. And I hear her say, I got blood on my dick because I fucked a corpse. 
<laughs> and I was like, what the fuck are you? Li-? Bro, can you imagine not knowing anything about this dude, not knowing what there's a rapper? Like, I just hear this little child say, I got blood on my dick because I fucked a corpse. Yeah. And I was just like, yo, whatever you listening to is absolute <laughs> garbage, yo. You need to throw that shit away right now. I was like, yo, if this is what you're doing, I'm finished. I don't I don't need to hear no more. I don't need to hear no more. Even on his most popular shit, like all his like the singles. These ain't even shit that's buried on his album. Even on his singles, he's saying weird shit. <laughs> weird shit, bro. He said, Oh, your man's has been to jail before. Suck my dick. <laughs> specifically, specifically the guys who've been to jail before, like yeah, y'all yeah. know what he's Listen, y'all know what time. DMX, DMX is definitely a product of a failed society. Like he's yeah. he's working out trauma. Like yeah. he's he's definitely he definitely wasn't all there, man. Um, and I think everything you know that kind of happened after that kind of is a testament to that. Like he blew up really, really, really fast. And so he he got on really really fast and he fell off hard, man. Oh yeah. Like and people, but people still love him. Like he could come back and do an album now, and it would it would get a lot of people's attention, man. Certain people, certain people. I think uh, maybe some young people who might just you know be into some classic shit, and it's going to be a lot of older aggressive guys who want to bump into each other and possibly <laughs> take shirts off at a show. <laughs> That's so you gonna be. take your shirt off and bump around. Be angry. Yo, stay angry though. <laughs> stay, I ain't with that other shit. Stay angry. Don't be time. friendly. What are you gay? Don't be smiling while you bumping into me with your shirt off. <laughs> Make a face like everything's a problem. Uh, Come on. Yeah, for real. I need to know I can trust you. Yeah, I blame him. He's at the he's at the bottom of that foundation. Yo, this is all of it, man. I yeah. am. Oh yeah, yeah I, I mean, I of course you can see that I've uh, I've I've worked this theory out pretty yeah. well in my <laughs> own head. <laughs> I know exactly who's to blame for this. A lot, a lot of just a lot of just blatant prison homosexual overtones, man. Yeah, undeniable. Yeah, and that was like his preferred. You know, he spoke horribly about women, right? Right. <laughs> but, but dogs. Right. Where my dogs at? <laughs> dogs and aggressive, large human males. Yeah. You seem to be okay with. Yeah. You know, I mean, I get. I mean, what? You know, no shame. It is what it is. And as long as you know, beneath that aggression is consent. Then I guess I don't really have a problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Y'all play whatever games y'all play. Yeah. (laughs) Y'all got safe words and shit. Everybody, all right? All right, let's let's take your hands off. I ain't got nothing else to say, bro. You you do you. You guys have a great time. Oh. Yeah, bro. That shit's hilarious. That's the dude. He he was he he was something that was needed to a degree at the time, too, because there was a lot of he was, I think he was just an answer. To a lot of shit that people thought, ironically, shit that people thought was soft. Right. It was like, we'll fix it, throw DMX in there. <laughs> He's like, all right, all the men take their shirts off. You're like, wait, hold on, wait, wait, wait. Wait. So, wait, what's worse? A hundred dudes with their shirts off or three guys in shiny suits? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if we upgraded with this one. We might have made it worse. Yeah, I think, I think the first time I heard him was actually on a Mike Geronimo record. Oh, yeah. word? Yeah, I think it was on Time to Build. 
And if it's not DMX, it's a guy that sounds just like him. And I want to say, no, I, I was going to say, I think he was on uh, Lifestyles of the, the Poor and Dangerous, but I don't. I think I'm getting him confused with somebody else. I'm almost positive he's on Mike Geronimo's record. But uh, Lifestyles, I think, was the first time I heard um, the first time I heard Jay-Z. I didn't hear Jay-Z back on the, um, like, when he was with Big Daddy Kane. I, I didn't know who he was until then. No, first time I heard him was on uh, Original Flavor Joint. Yeah, I, was, I not missed that. That was the first time I heard him. I remember that because this dude who was producing, the guy um, Ski, who used to produce, I remember he was like, a, if my I have a cousin named Eric, and this dude was like my cousin's twin. It was bugged out because he was my cousin's from North Carolina, and I, I was living in Jersey. I hadn't seen him in years, and I saw that video the original flavor video and I saw the dude ski and I was like, oh shit, I knew my cousin was making rap beats and shit anyway. I was like, oh shit, my cousin. So I was all excited. I thought it was him for a long time until I finally figured it out. But he he looks exactly like him. But that's that's kind of why I remember that song so much. And that was yeah, it was when he when he had his uh triple time flows and shit like that. Nothing yeah. nothing too complicated. But he it still stood out though. You could tell but I, I that's the thing about back then man. I mean I don't know if it's nostalgia or if it just really was what it was. Because it wasn't really, I don't think it was celebrity. Because we didn't know a lot about these people. I wasn't going to shows. I was pretty young. So I don't think it was so much about celebrity. But I just felt like all of the shit that we were seeing was just iconic. I don't remember shit being mediocre to me back then. Everything that was on the video, you know, the the video show after school, like they played, you know, 12 videos for the entire show and every video was dope. Everyone was something that we was happy to see come on and shit was so far in, um, you know, as far as the type of groups that were, the type of rap, the type of music, the subject matter. It was all kinds of shit. But I remember everything being pretty fucking dope at the time. Everything, like everything I was exposed to. I guess once the world started to get a little bit bigger, you know, you start to get out more, you get mixtapes and all that kind of shit yeah. comes in. But the stuff that was just there for us on the radio and on the video shows, all that shit was dope. All of it. Maybe like, I don't know whose job, I guess it's the A&R's not necessarily, they scout them. I, I don't know. Whoever's a part of the music development team, maybe they just had a, they they, they just had a better program back then. Cause, cause I remember it the same way too. And I, I look at it, whether it was, you know, just nostalgia because, you know, there's certain movies where you go back and watch it now, you're like, oh, my God. Like, how was I entertained by this? Right, right. And, and, and there's certain stuff that's, like, antiquated or it sounds dated. Like, you go back and listen to it. And especially as an adult now, you're like, ah, oh, this is kind of corny. Like, this is kind of cringy. But still, like, sonically, it makes sense. The way the dude's rhyming, the, the, you know, the beat, everything is, yeah, man. I mean, it's. It, I'm trying to think. Now that you mention it, some of them maybe... My nice and smooth albums won't hold up as well anymore. Ruined. <laughs> <laughs> well, you take but, away my Mister Rogers, I take away your nice and smooth. That's there we go. I see. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember. I just you could go back and listen to a lot of that shit right now, especially a lot of stuff I remember. You could go back and listen. To, I mean, just randomly some hip hop that you remember from that age, and the shit still has good. You go listen to Ill and Al Scratch right now. Yeah. They were super random. They weren't like, you know, huge, successful. They just had a couple of joints. But you go listen to Ill Al Scratch right now. Tell me that shit don't still bang. 
it don't still have a vibe to it. Like I can still nod to it. It's dope. Yeah. You can see why it was dope back then and it still has good energy now. I mean, some shit probably maybe a little bit older than that might not hold up as much. But for the most part, I mean, there's a lot of obscure, random people who had dope ass songs and videos. And probably just and who knows what they did. They might have started working in the background, producing. Who who knows what happened with their careers? But there's a lot of shit. I mean, Pharaoh Monch and uh, Organized Confusion. The shit they their first couple videos and shit like that. Like, this still has that quality. I don't want to say star quality, but it still get, puts me in like a place of awe. Like, yeah, like they were they were really dope, iconic. I feel like some of the people now who are around in music, I feel like they not. It's uh, kind of sucks to say, but I feel like some of them are just taking up space, or some of them could be anybody. You know what I'm saying? I don't feel. I don't know. I just feel like everything is so cookie cutter. I feel like the producers and the people who run this shit could take anybody, put them in that spot, sing that same song, and would probably be moderately successful. It's not connected to that artist and that and their style. And like Smith and Wesson was Smith and Wesson. They had the totally on their own shit, their boot camp shit, their sound, their everything. And that shit was pretty iconic. If you go look at some of those videos and listen to some of the bars, those they were they were pretty iconic. I think some of the people now are just super disposable. I I, I think so. I mean, I know for I think there's two things at work. I definitely think there's a component of nostalgia there where when you're like in your formidable years and you're still kind of filled with wonderment, things strike you a little bit differently. Like I remember even like when I started making beats and I started like being able to catch the sound of you know like the snare and i'm like oh shit like this is this is the exact same drum break from uh you know um yeah. uh i'm trying to think of it like uh that uh, on nas is uh stillmatic the joint large professor did um you're the man yeah and then there was that song on uh cuban links uh fuck i can't remember it i think it's rainy days yeah okay. and it's the break and i'm like okay i recognize that 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 kick in that snare oh shit that's the same kick in the snare from from the low end theory uh, right you know? and then right. you start hearing it and it takes a degree of the magic away because you kind of know how it's done so now right. you're like behind the scenes of it and and you and you can never unhear it like i remember i used to think the message uh, on Nas's second album was like one of yo, it's one of the best songs ever. And then once you start making beats and you hear, you know, how Trackmasters did, it's like, yeah, it's just a loop. And they added some drums over it. And then mm-hmm. like a, a keyboard, a pregio or something, like, yeah, that's super duper simple. It just it doesn't strike you the same way anymore. So I think I think when you got hit at, at you know those formidable years, it just sticks with you a different way. And I know the other thing for me is that was just my favorite era of production, like DJ production, like looping up the drums with the bass line and then finding a horn section to go over it, like and making it all land the right way, you know, right. and, and, yeah. and, and some of my favorite beats of all time, man, they're just loops. I don't know what it is about a loop. You know, it just it just to me, it just that's what I associate with like that that for me is what that sound is like that's that's that sound that's that shit that i love and then all the variety is you know when they're pulling the drums out 
how he's riding the beat differently throughout the track, you know, and that's where all of the um the variables come in. Yeah, it's just the loop, but it's you know, what was that song? Um, ninety seven mentality. Like, that was one of my favorite beats of all time. It's the same loop the whole time, like nothing changes. <laughs> and when you find the original sample, I'm like, yo, you didn't even add a hi hat, you didn't even add a snare. Like, nope, it's just the loop. Like that's yeah. it. And it works. And it, yeah. and it works. So I, I I I think that's what made that era like really different. And and you know, you're talking about making songs with what's already kind of classic music. Like they were that's finding true. some of the that's best, true. you know, uh you know, forgotten. They're like digging up relics. Like this was great 20, 30 years ago. People forgot it. Let me yeah. reintroduce it and, you know, flip it a different way. Whereas now, like the beats now, like they're, they're literally programming them with like algorithms, right. you know, like, right. and so it, it is more cookie cutter. It is more formulaic. It is, it is more disposable. It's true. It's definitely true. I think that um, it's a little bit different because the reason I think it's not fully, nostalgia so much is because my kids can attach to it the same way like my kids know they're seeing something special when i show them dos effects you know what i'm saying like there's still yeah. something about hearing that music seeing those these dudes are in the fucking sewer like see like right. <laughs> seeing that that whole energy surrounding them it's just like those dudes are special they're from a special period. Like there's there's not a whole lot like that now. Like who does what Buster Rhymes was doing when we were right. young? Like who's who's no nobody's really into that kind of shit anymore. So I think maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it was, is the showmanship that was involved in it. Because these cats did have everybody had their own kind of aesthetic. And I remember when uh when Lost Boys came out and they had that dance and shit. And everybody yeah. started, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Stuff like that. But I, maybe I, that's what Bobby Schmurder, you know, maybe that, that whole thing is kind of the same, the same type of energy because he, that, that took the world by storm for a second, too. That, I, that yeah, dude with the fucking, what was it called? Um, is it the Schmoney dance? Um, maybe something like that. I, well, I, when that song came out, dude was like on top of the world. He had everybody dancing like him and, Everybody wanted to sound like it and shit, but that, that all went away pretty quick. What a great name, Schmurder. Schmur oh, yeah, I love Schmurder. it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I feel like I, what I want to be true is that he was Bobby Murder, and it was right. just like, no, we can't. He was like, all right, Schmurder. And they Murder, were like, Schmurder. Right. okay, all right, we, we, we can do Schmurder. We can do Schmurder. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's a good compromise. Jewy, and you know it's not what he wanted to do. No, we'll, we'll, we'll call it Schmurder. What's How the difference? Schmurder, same thing. <laughs> Murder, murder. It's the it's same like thing. It's swagged out. It's swagged out. <laughs> People will love it. I heard his name, but I, I can't say I listen to his music. I've I've been totally checked out from anything. Like I'm I'm definitely an old man. Like if Wu Tang or Ghostface by himself or Nas drop something, I'll peep it. Otherwise, I'm like, eh. Oh, a Kanye. I'll get I'll get new Kanye. I think that was the last album I bought was his uh his little gospel era venture. Mm -hmm. And of course, the the title song was the best thing on there, and it, it had its moments. But that's just you know he found a dope loop, and he just hooked it up right, man. Like right. all right, this is dope. I listen to um J Cole a lot, and the whole act pretty uh, much everybody great. that's involved with that whole Dreamville move like that. That everybody I think that whole shit is dope. 
pretty much everybody down with that shit. All the people I've heard, all the songs I've heard have all been fly. All of it. So yeah. any I any bought, everybody uh, down with that shit is fresh to me. Yeah, I bought uh For Your Eyes Only. And I heard the other albums because my girl really liked his shit. And that's the first couple albums I heard from him. I'm like, okay. He's really because I when I heard him, I just it's it's about getting motivated enough to want to buy an album. Right. That 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 fire has long been extinguished in me. Like I'm gonna go check out your whole album, but when I first heard him, I, I was definitely excited. Okay, this dude's a this dude's a breath of fresh air because he yeah, had bars. His flow was right in the pocket. I'm like, yo, this dude is super dope. Yeah, he kills I it. I think it was that uh who that who that was the the first thing I heard him on the first song. I don't even remember the first song I heard him on. Honestly, it was a while ago though. But dude is super yeah. nice, and the JID and Earth Gang and pretty just that whole movement has been doing some revolutionary shit. For real, for real, I like all of them, man. I mean, just what they represent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just all these young people together making music and doing what they want to do their way, and to see that he reached out and connected with all these other people who were just like people who at first you probably wouldn't think they had. Um, what it took to get that type of connection to people and, and create that type of demand for their music. Like, but seeing somebody link up with them and put them on the right type of beats and give and put them in a space where they can not try to put them in a box. You know what I'm saying? You can see he's just letting people do what they do, maybe guiding it, you know, as because he's already successful. So he kind of knows right. what, what steps to make. But you can tell he's not trying to box them in at all. And that's what's making them all sound so dope. I'll have, to, I'll have to check them out. I haven't heard of any of the others that you mentioned. I yeah, that's fresh. Yeah, I have to look into that, man. The only other new, the new stuff that I kind of dug, uh, and I and I, I the only album I, I actually bought from them was uh, Doris by uh, Sweatshirt or Earl Sweatshirt. Right. Um, but I haven't bought one of Tyler the Creator's album. But some of the stuff I heard from him, I'm like, okay. You're a fu- you're a fucking weirdo, but this is super dope, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's it. He's a, he's dope, but he's a weirdo. I totally get it. Sort of sort of like like we were saying about LP, the yeah. music and all of that different. The flow's different. Like I knew that from this first uh, that first single. I, I was like, okay, this is some totally different shit now, boy. When dude was see, I, th- I forget what it was called. Yonkers. I don't know. Was that the one we had the, the the cockroach yeah. like, crawling yeah. on his arm the whole video? Yeah, that was the first one I saw, and I was like, okay, shit's changing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm getting old now, boy. This is some wild shit. Yeah, but yeah, he's dope too. I like I like everything that they're doing. Their whole movement they got over. But I think a lot of people our age can't connect with it. They just think they're supposed to not like it because it's for young people. But I also yeah. don't. I like I don't bang out to this shit. I'm not turning it on and just rocking out to it for hours right. a day. I just <laughs> I listen to it. I'm like, yeah, this shit's dope, and I and I and I move on. You know, I don't. Um, only time I interact with music for a long periods of time like that is if I'm sitting and I'm doing some some art or something. I might throw in like a reggae mix and listen to some yeah. uh, hour of reggae music or something like that. But I I I guess I'm in that uh, playlist mind state. Cause it's I don't even know when the last time I put on one artist's album and just listen to it from back to front. Or, yeah. Like I listen to mixes and 
playlists and just a vibe. I'm just trying to find a vibe. I don't necessarily want to be plugged into one artist for 30, 45 minutes. Yeah, I, you know, usually for long trips, man. I mean, I respect that you still try to look for stuff. I, I definitely reach the height of my curmudgeonry where I'm just, I'm not, I'm not looking for nothing. But um, <laughs> I heard uh, a friend of mine who's still into it. I heard the hook off that song. I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta buy that record. Where uh, where RZA comes in is like, I fuck the freckles off your face, bitch. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, you know, gotta buy that. I'm yeah, sure. <laughs> you gotta buy and that. And the beat, and the beat, it was, it was because you could tell he ran out of loop, so he just in the middle of the beat, he just cuts it off for a split second, and the loop starts again, and that's how he made the beat. Like I don't know if it was just supreme laziness or it's genius, but it just it worked. So I was like, "All right, I'll, I'll peep this." Yeah, well, then you know that's that's probably one of the most uh, one of the most exciting ways that you've ever been led to buy a record is by hearing somebody say, "I'll oh, fuck the freckles off the face." <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good story to tell right there. To hold that one for the grandkids. <laughs> so then RZA gets on the hook and says, "I'll fuck the freckles off your face, bitch," and I knew. I that had album to buy had that to be album. mine. The <laughs> album called Doris would be mine. Uh, Grandpa, tell us that story again about the freckles. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> Gather around, children. <laughs> fuck the freckles off it's your just, face, bitch. Right, it's just so it's so impolite and so over the top. Like it's not tender. You know, it's not no, loving. No, not at no, all. There's no compassion in that at all. But I, I'm pretty sure there's a demographic of women out there who definitely want the freckles fucked off their face. For I sure. got all these freckles. <laughs> yeah, my freckles still on. So <laughs> putting in more work. It's still on. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, you got Rizza. He's been responsible for some amazing shit. He's a he's, wild dude, bro. He's so hit or miss, man. He's like, I think his his best stuff now is when he's working with somebody else. Because yeah. I, I don't know if you heard it better tomorrow, but it was, it was very hard to like anything off of it. But the shit he did for Kanye and Jay-Z, wow, great. The the I really like the beat that he threw to uh, Sweatshirt Earl. Like, whenever he's throwing somebody a beat, I, I don't know. I guess they just make him like, nah, 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 you ain't doing that. Even I don't know if you heard the lost tapes, the the last yeah. Nas, yeah. Nas, that highly favored, and I heard it right away. I'm like, okay, this is either MF Doom or RZA. Like I could tell right away from the beat, and it's probably the the best thing on his his throwaway music. And I'm like, man, so Nas must have been like, nah, RZA, you can't you can't give me a better tomorrow. Like you gotta, and I guess they force him to step his game up. But I don't know what it is, man. I don't I don't know what it is when. He's doing stuff now, like eight diagram and on was like, eh. yeah. even eight diagram has some stuff that I could really get into. Like, okay, this is pretty dope. But then on it, once it got to a better tomorrow, I'm like, yeah, man, you got it. You either got to get back to finding those gem samples or like hand it over, man. Just, just, I don't know, man. Well, man, he I was love I mean, so high, man. I mean, he came, he came in at pretty much the top you know he didn't have to well i'm not saying he didn't have to put no work in but he didn't have to prove himself over time 
No, you know what I'm saying? When Wu-Tang came out, it was already declared the dopest shit that we've heard in a long time. Everybody was crazy about it. We were all watching Kung Fu movies, so to hear the Kung Fu movie samples on everywhere, it was like the perfect storm for a lot of people in my age group especially. And uh, I, nobody questioned it from the beginning. He didn't have to work his way up. So to start from there, you know, it kind of makes sense why through these experimental times or whatever else, the shit might yeah. not come across because dude came out, he came in as big as he was ever going to be. I mean, he's done some amazing shit afterwards with scoring movies. and But as far as just strictly hip-hop production, yeah, he, I don't think he was ever going to get much larger than that first, them first couple years. But dude, I mean, to think about, you're talking about arguably five classics in the span of you know, three years, right? To make all all those beats, because except for the True Master song on uh, Ghostface's first album, that's all him. Every single beat, and each and each album was something a little bit different. You know what right. I mean? Like there's there was, and and so I don't know if that's all him or the engineer, but like the conceptually, there's some cohesiveness to each one of those albums that make them unique, that make them iconic for just featuring that particular artist, you know? Mm, and, yeah. and and even those were wholly separate from what he did on 36 Chambers. So yeah, man, he, he came, he, you're right. He came in like at such a, uh, being revered so highly, you know, it was yeah. hard for him. And then he started getting into the Bobby Digital shit, which, you know, oh, was, yeah. was really hit or miss. And I was all miss for me. All of it? You didn't you didn't like uh, oh, yeah, windpipe off the belly I mean, soundtrack? I, there was probably some stuff in there that I could like, but the Bobby Digital as an experience, as an I like the whole entirety of it, I just wasn't with it. It was it was again, it was like the common album. It was noisy. There was yeah. a lot of beeping noises and like weird <laughs> shit that I just wasn't. I was like, nah, I can't, I can't rock with this. Man. I can't rock with this. I guess I had a short, a short temper back then. I'll tell you something too, is the first time I heard There is a Dark Side, I didn't like it. Wow. Okay. For real, for real. I got so I got it. My um my grandmother got it for me. She asked me what I wanted because she was gonna be at the by the music store. So she's like, What did you want? I told her a couple names, and she said, "If I see anything, I'll pick it up." And she got "There Is a Dark Side" for me. Brought it home. I listened to it, and was like, uh, "I guess." Just didn't do anything for me. Went outside, you know, hung out, did all my, you know, nightly teenage boy stuff. You know, came back in the house, smoked a spliff with my homeboy on the front porch. I was baked, out of my fucking mind, baked. And I went back in there and listened to it again. And since then, it's been the best shit I've ever heard. Yeah, there's been a couple albums like that where it just doesn't hit you right away. And then yeah. you smoke just enough weed to right. make it work. And you're like, I was, okay, oh, I was done. I know where it's coming from. I was tossed. I came in to listen to that shit, and it hit the spot that second time. Dude, when you... when And, and I'll go back and listen to music, and I hear shit that I never heard before. And I'm like, was that sound always in there, that little... Like it sounds like a puppy dog whimper, like going into the next bar. Was that sound always in there? Like you start hearing subtle stuff that's in the beat that like, okay, was that even in there? Um, you know, you, you're going to really clown me for this. When I heard this album, I don't know if it's just the, the state of mind I was in or whatever, 
But um, I, I, it wasn't the best thing to me at first, and then it ended up being one of my my favorites. Was uh, most Def's first album? Ooh, black on both sides. Most Def's first album wow. to me was like I was like, eh, okay. Okay. eh. I, I, it, it wasn't anything where I was just like absolutely amazed, and I think it was the headspace mm. that I was in because I think it came out the same year that Moment of Truth came out, and Moment of Truth, I think that that shit got played nonstop. Um, and I, I don't know what it was. It just, I wasn't, I wasn't excited about it. I don't know if it's just cause I was already in that old man curmudgeonness that right. he was kind of a newer artist. So I'm like, eh, I really don't care. Like I had heard him on, uh, the love movement and the lyricist lounge and stuff. And I'm like, okay, he's okay. You know, but when I go back and listen to it now, I'm like, what the fuck was wrong with me? Like this is one of the most amazing albums yeah, of all time. He murders everything. Every everything. single thing on that whole album. Yeah, I remember Speed that. Law. Oh, oh my God. There's a couple of Bro, when he you... starts talking about don't get too upset. Tow truck got <laughs> my tape in the deck. In the deck. Yeah, Bro, too... New World Water. Right. Oh my God. Yeah, crazy. Fuck a bank. I need a 20-year water tank. Right. Yo. Because exactly. it was like he would slam you with a line, and before you can recover from like, oh shit, oh shit, he slaps you again. And like right. that was one of those bars was like uh something about the chassis erects. Don't be too upset. <laughs> the tow truck yeah. driver got my tape in the deck. Like you can't recover. You're trying to catch your breath right. from the last he, Yeah, punch he had a he way just... of doing that. He definitely had a way of doing that. He will follow you, follow up his lines. With with so many pieces, and then he would list off shit. He would see. I like uh, I like MCs who do callbacks to certain things, and even in the course of a song, like if you yeah. start your first verse a certain way, and then the second verse you start it almost the same, but you change a few words. Like something for some reason that just always yeah. sticks to me when somebody does that kind of literary shit. It just makes it a better experience for me. And I noticed that most deaf would always just list off shit and just say. I'm permanent like tattoos, bird box, third degree bird box. Bird box. Like, he would just <laughs> run down this list of things. You know, he's super dope, bro. Super, super dope. Definitely one of my favorite MCs. For yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah, he he he's up there. He's up there as one of my favorites as well, man. For sure. It's and 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 the thing too is that there's a lot of stuff with him too where he'll be really, really subtle. And I think and I think that that was part of why too. Like I think at that phase too, where I just I I liked certain things sonically. Like Premiere was the man, so so I'm listening to Moment of Truth, and Guru wasn't like murdering every single verse, right. but the the sound was just it was incredible, you know. So I loved that album, but um, or I would like something that was like a you know a punchline, you know, not just being clever, but it was it was just like that Red Man, you know, I'm dope like fill in the blank. I'm fat, right. like fill in the blank. So I'm looking for something that's like right on the nose and hit you right away. And and most deaf was real. It it was it was real subtle and clever the way that he would be dope. It wasn't something as formulaic and simple as I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I am or what this is and just I'm gonna use a metaphor, you know, or a simile that's that's yo wow and it rhymes and it's great. It was just all the whole thing, how he put the words together. And like you say, he would do little callbacks and he would and he would have it to where it's like, did you mean this or did you mean that by it? But it works out either way. 
Like right. just just really yeah. subtle and clever. And and man, and, and even because well, when that album came out too, like that was like the beginning of the end and the transition into where we are here. So it really kind of stands as like something that's like almost kind of prophetic and kind of like a last hurrah because that was like his theme throughout the whole thing, you know? Yeah, he's dope, like, man. He always has been. He always yeah. has been. I, I mean, I remember Black on Both Sides being one of those albums that we would sleep to and shit at night. We had the CD. And, you know, when it was time to crash, we had a young baby at the time. When it was time to crash, we just put some music on and just let it be on repeat all night and shit. And Black on Both Sides was one. And uh, Damian Marley's uh, album, I think it was Halfway Tree, was mm -hmm. one of them. We used to listen to every friggin' night, bro. And now my son listens to that same Most Deaf album now. And that's, the, again, what we were talking about is... That's from me playing music on the weekends or something. I'll just put on something and he'll hear this song. And he's like, he heard uh, New World Water and just got attached to it. He listens to it all the time. He'll get the phone and he'll go right to YouTube and put his headphones in and listen to New World Water like he's trying to memorize it. And like, and it's just, it's not from me influencing him like, yo, this is right. my favorite shit. You should get into it. He just understands the gravity of, of a rapper yeah. putting all it's of that so shit. Good. It's so good, bro. It's it's literary genius shit. It's just it's amazing, absolutely amazing. Not he, to be he, played with. And he, even the beats, I think too. Um, I bought uh, I bought uh the Black Star album. Yeah. Uh, and that one took a, a long time to grow on me because again, it was especially Talib Kweli. He's way more subtle with his genius than even Most Def is because Most Def is more like the you know, uh, the body rock, you know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. flow and everything. And so he he definitely stood out a little bit more. But I went back and listened. I'm like, okay. But like uh, Brown Skin Lady was probably like my favorite track on there. Like I didn't I didn't love a lot of the production on there. So I think it kind of just made me like, eh. And I wasn't too excited about it. So I really never gave that album, uh, Black on Both Sides, a real listen, you know, when it came out. But But a couple years later, going back to it, it's mind-blowing, man, from oh, yeah. beginning to end. You For know what sure. I love from him, too, was uh, Auditorium. Uh, not Auditorium, the Ecstatic. Yeah, the Ecstatic. That shit was favorite, uh, fire, bro. Flavorful. Oh, my love God. It. Love it. Super dope joint. And he's, that's what I expect from him. You know what I mean? He does different shit that you don't really, you don't really think an MC, a contemporary MC would do. Like He's almost like, I don't know, you could just put him in a category of a different type of artist or performer than just a rapper because of the type of grooves he gets into, the fact that he sings a lot. Like, he's, he's just yeah. deeper than just being a rapper with him. And I think the fact that he's not afraid to do that opens him up to so many more possibilities of how you express and how you come across. That's, just, that's why he's on that level that he's on, to be able to find those places. The shit that this dude talks about, the way he puts words together is amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing, man. He, he's one of the greats, man. And I think I think he said he's done, man. I think I don't he's, blame him. He's done with music. I don't blame him. You know what I'm saying? Because I think a lot of this business part of it is about competing and staying relevant and shit like that. And now with social media, people consume shit so fast, and I can't even imagine what it's like to be, from from outside looking in. We think people like him and Andre, like they've done so much that they have such a following that they could just perform 
music to even if they never get another song on the radio or hit record or anything like that the music that they would put together i feel like people would want to interact with and consume and and vibe with but at the same time it is it's business too there's probably better shit they could be doing with their time right than trying to rap rap at shows and shit for people like people you know people barely hear what's going on in them things anyway they'd rather right. just have fucking travis scott come out yelling and jumping so they can have a you know a, a big experience. People like that are gonna link up in a different way with your energy than just at a show jumping around excited. That's just, it's just totally different. So I can see why you would want to pull yourself out of that space. He should just perform at ayahuasca ceremonies and shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Something something intimate. You know, throw him a couple grand. Just let him come spit some bars. No mic. We'll just all huddle around him and shit. And yeah, here's some fire. dope shit. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the kind of that's the kind of settings they need. They're shaming, bro. They're fucking. They're, it's just totally different now. Dude, you need to organize some rich guy shamanic uh, ayahuasca retreats, including including most deaf performances. Well, that sounds like a wonderful evening. It does. It really does. I'm trying to start a psychedelic church anyway on a low. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out what I need to do to be legally in the clear to start a mushroom church uh well get get that 501c3 going right i i, I think you gotta file some papers I, I don't know how much it costs to like register to keep it alive each year and then uh and just get get make friends with a lawyer for that first court case because right. there'll right. be it's gonna there'll happen they'll be the first court case challenging whether you can or can't and and I and I, I don't know. We got to figure out. I'm sure you could do on some online research of what the uh, the following has to be. There has to be a certain number of people that like that are adherents to it. Because I think there was some landmark case where they had to let a native dude do peyote because it was a part right. of his religion. Right. And they took right. him to court, and then he ended up winning the court case. Like you can't deny him. Which yeah. I don't know why that didn't open the floodgates on everything. I don't I don't understand how it was just applied to that one case because that at that point I don't know how you justify any substance being illegal right if it's for the purposes of you know a shamanic ritual because right. I mean they, they don't have any holy books so I mean you can't say it's because it's established in any kind of canon yeah, and there's ayahuasca things all over the I mean there's one in Orlando there's a few there's it's all over the yeah there's one in, there's, there's a ayahuasca shamanic retreat that you can go to in Orlando. What? Yeah. They're all, they're all over the country, bro. Not a whole lot of them, but there's a few in California, a few on the East Coast, definitely one in Orlando. I thought um, they'd be exclusively in California. I'm shocked yeah. we have one in Orlando. Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to get in on this. You know, it's completely legitimate. And it's not like I'd have to fake it either because I really do put more faith and mushrooms <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the power that they have to unlock shit for people than I would in a lot of other, you know, uh, traditionally accepted methods, I would I'd definitely get behind that 100%. And I'm pretty sure I could write whatever I needed to write to legitimize the shit too, because it's like a real thought process. I wouldn't even, and I don't know con man shit and I don't want to bang nobody's wife. I just want a nice mushroom church <laughs> where we could, you know what I'm saying? We could have dope music. We could microdose. We could freaking have our uh, ceremonies at, during the full moon and all that shit. All of that, bro. I kick some dope sermons about quantum physics and shit. 
That shit would be amazing. But no, but no sex burden. You're saying. No, I'm I'm not accepting the burden of sex for anybody. <laughs> I'm not I can't do it. I can't do it. I'll sacrifice my time, my energy, you know, I'll I'll give my intellect and compassion, but I cannot bur- take on the burden of sex for you. I can't. You got to fight that fight on your own. So are people living on a compound or they're just coming by on the uh most of us will be on the compound. Okay. Most of us are going to be on the compound. The ceremonies, we'd have microdosing ceremonies and we'd have full veil piercing ceremonies. But the veil piercing ceremonies are only for members. Mm. If you're not a member, then you have to, you can only come for the microdose. Okay. So that, that's how we run that. Because we don't want people just coming to hang out the trip. We got to have guided trips. You know what I'm saying? We got to have people who are focused, not just trying to do fucking naked backflips. Yeah, I think too. Um, you know, gauging people's dedication by their their service too, right? Like how uh, Carol Baskins had them with the blue shirts. <laughs> right. Yeah, shirts. yeah, they definitely get different color shirts. Yeah, Captain Kirk told us how important the colorful the color of the shirts are. So you, you, should, you should definitely know without the shirt. You should know people by their shirt color for sure. I'm a hundred percent on that on that boat right there. So everybody who comes into the church, you should be able to see the color of your shirt and know, like, okay, I know your rank. I know your rank. That'd be awesome, bro. I'm telling you, bro, a mushroom church? Come on, man. I think it's the, I think it's, I think it honestly is the only, the only path forward in in the current climate is, is through the, uh, is through a cult. I'm, I'm, Mm. I'm committed to that idea. It's the, only, it's, it, it's the it's the only it's the only way forward because everything else is just taking advantage of you to deceive you. And ironically enough, like that's typically what what cults are doing. If you have a cult that is genuinely not trying to take advantage of anybody, it's it's the best method. Yeah, because politics ain't fixing shit. Religion ain't fixing shit. Uh, you're not going to be informed by watching the news. You're not going to be guided into anything that, you know, uh, that's actually helpful for yourself in any of that shit. No. So I I think the only way out is for people to be join a cult and be self-sufficient and dedicate yourself into to growing the cult. Because at least now you've crafted a world where, you know, you're not inundated with all that other bullshit. Right. You can completely detach from all of that. You can just connect to your own ideology, your own value system, and then you just grow that, like you said. So instead of being part of somebody else's system, being a cog in their system, you create your own paradigm based on spiritual evolution, and and you just feed that machine. Period. Because I, they're, they're literally, nobody can convince me that there's another way to solve these problems other than through metaphysics and spiritual evolution. So it's looking at the world kind of like how the Unabomber saw it, but without blowing anybody up. Without blowing anybody up. Exactly. Right. We don't want to blow nobody up. You know, we don't want to freaking do no weird shit. We just want our own space so we can leave everybody alone. We're going to trip on mushrooms. We're going to have dope conversations. We're going to grow our own food. And we're just going to meditate until we get to the point where none of the other fuckery bothers us. Yeah, because that, that's going to be the first accusation. The, the, the first accusation is that you're trying to get rich. 
So you'd have to have some sort of structure in place to uh, to ensure that there's um, integrity with the resources. Oh, we do want to get rich. We do. Okay, <laughs> that's part of it. That's no, that's definitely part of it. That's definitely part of it. And the reason that being rich is part of it is because being rich is the nature of the universe. That's the natural alignment of our reality is to be abundant. We've tricked ourselves into otherwise, otherwise, and we've created systems that reaffirm the idea of lack and scarcity so that we can engage with it and keep spinning the fucking wheel. But the real nature of the universe is to be abundant. So we just have to get back to the truth or the foundation. We don't have to create a new truth. We just got to get back to what's already there. When you can, when you, we live in a reality to where you can take a tomato seed and plant it in the ground and it grows a tomato plant and that tomato plant has 20 tomatoes and each tomato has 200 seeds in it from one seed. So what, okay, so I'll give you a hypothetical because if the idea is, so you got all these other people on the compound with you, so you're the only rich person and everybody else is poor or everybody's no. rich or how does that work? No, we're all functioning in a way that we can become independently wealthy as a collective and individually because we pool our resources, we support each other. It's basic. It's basic. I wouldn't be the only one rich unless I was the only one who created a successful business. Theoretically, anybody else who's involved in that could be could add value to the enterprise. Oh, they could be the first one to get rich. And, yeah. They could be the first one to get rich. It could be some kind of tech designer on their compound, and he makes some shit and he sells it to Instagram for eight hundred million dollars or some shit like that. And instead of being a miser and a hoarder and going to get a fucking eighty room mansion, we figure out the plan for him to take the people who are closest to us, the closest inner circle, the ones who are closest to realizing whatever their business or their contribution is going to be. So you're going to have people who are at different stages of manifesting whatever it is that's going to be their thing. So you get the people who are closest to completion and we help them first. We put them on, we get them whatever product they want to sell, get them advertising campaigns. We can build some prototypes, whatever it takes. We just put that influx of energy into it so that next ring of people can get out and become successful too. And we just keep pooling our resources and doing the same thing. So let, okay. So let's say, uh, there's 250,000 members and, you know, people pay tithes, people pay, you know, 10% of the income. So let's say you establish it like a low monthly fee of 39.99. Like like inform like <laughs> that's the price point. That's thirty nine ninety nine. Wait, you get, there's more. <laughs> you get enlightenment. You get access to the teachings. You get access to the mushroom church. We're gonna help set you up to be self sufficient with your with your land and your resources. Thirty nine ninety nine a month. You're supporting the organization. That pulls together ten million dollars in capital on a month. So that's hundred and twenty million a year. So what what is your thinking of like and how you would allocate $120 million on a yearly basis? What does that budget look like? Well, the budget as far as functionality would be one thing, but most of the money would go to scaling businesses and creating structures that can keep themselves running and be self-sustaining, but it's going to solve some kind of serious problem. Like one of the first things I would do is get a big ass hemp farm and a factory to process the hemp. So we can make, try to get rid of all this plastic garbage that we have everywhere. 
anything that we just making hemp plastic, whether it's the, my main thing that I always thinking about for one, of course, is tissue, you know, tissue products, paper towels and all that stuff. And I also think about the, uh, the little packet they give you at restaurants of the fork and the spoon and the napkin. Right. You know, make that whole thing out of hemp. It's got you know, to be trillions of those, like trillions of them, and they're yeah. plastic and they're garbage. Make them all out of hemp. Just little things like that, stuff that we know we need, changes that we know we can make. We're we're ahead of the curve, but people are just so invested in oil products and shit that they want to keep right. doing it that way. So we, our job would be to get the factory and everything moving to where we can make this shit affordable to give the people all these little disposable garbage items that they can't live without. For, but make them out of fucking hemp. So at the very least, if you're too lazy to put it in the garbage and you got to throw that shit out the window of your car, at the very least, we know the shit's going to biodegrade. Well, then then you're talking about finding uh, distribution chains as well, like the, the market of where you're going to sell these and the business partners that are going to commit to doing business with you. One thing I could say that would work um, towards that is there's already kind of a movement towards that that's being legislated, uh, like with um, the fact now that there's certain places where you got to have one of them shitty paper straws. Yeah, you know, yeah, they suck. Which, I mean, but it's not the worst. Like if you're gonna be if for one drink, you're okay. But if right. you plan, if you but if you're getting refills <laughs> by the end of it, you know, it's 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 not a good time. But you know, if there's already a move to kind of legislate that that be the norm. Um, you'd probably already have, there would already be uh, a couple of states where they, they would be looking for something like that, where you'd have right. to make partnerships or make an alliance with somebody who's already politically connected or can become, uh, you know, uh, somebody that is electable on behalf yeah. of that cause. Yeah, I think hemp is the key. Anyway, hemp is going to be the future for so many different things. Once it gets normalized back into society, to where we don't have to argue about whether it's weed or not or some stupid shit like that. It's going to be the textile. It has to be the textile of, there. of a future. Like I think a lot of times with like with hemp clothes and stuff, it's still not to the point where it can completely take their place of cotton because it's. I mean, people think it's still a little scratchy feeling, like or whatever it is. All of that where we're behind, we're behind is because the gates haven't been completely open, so it wasn't enough incentive for people to invest in it the way they should to get things the way they should be. But I think we're getting there now to where we can take it seriously, but that's, you can't for real in this country, we couldn't grow too much hemp. Mm -hmm. They can't give out too many hemp growing licenses. They can't because there's so many freaking uses for it. Even if all you did put it this way, even if all you did was grow the hemp, chop it down and put it on the ground for animals to eat or for or to put the biomass back into the ground even that would create more topsoil and that would be more valuable to to the land that you grew the hemp on than another crop that you would have grown to try to ship out or or make some money off of even if you only grew the hemp to return it to the soil it would still be a better investment and so the cult members, they're working in these factories and filling orders. Yeah, they're orders. working in factories. They're filling orders. It depends, you know, and they're working on their on their craft and everything else after they're done. So we create an environment to where nobody's feeling like they're slaved in and they, they don't have time to grow their dreams and shit. We would definitely be pushing that as an ideology is you do both. You know, you put your work in, you swing your shovel for a little while, you you siphon some grass and however else you contribute, and then 
Later on, you get back to the think tank with your neighbors and y'all figure out what the next big app is going to be. Or you work on putting Billy's album out and shit. Whatever it is, it'll be a community <laughs> effort. It's a community effort. You know what I'm saying? People who want to find something that they can make it. I think the way the world is shaping up right now, everybody has a contribution to make. And we all have access to it. You know what I'm saying? And we can make it worthwhile for people. Not everybody's going to go triple platinum, but I mean, you might be able to make a connection with people musically to where, you know, who knows, man, you can, you could go do a show in Sweden because you found a message board where a whole bunch of people like your shit. Like you just never know. The possibilities are infinite. The universe has ways of manifesting shit out of thin air that none of us could ever calculate. We don't know the variables enough to ever see it coming, but that shit could happen. It could happen. It could happen. And I think investing in that concept, if we take out, take out all the details, I don't need to know the exact path I'm going to go to get there. I don't need to know who's going to be the person I'm going to meet to give me the hookup or none of that. If I just operate in a state of mind knowing that if I just keep pushing this, it's going to get to the place where it finds the people it needs to find and it's going to be an asset to my life. It's going to, it's going to help me get connected to my abundance. If you take away everything else, it's, it's a real simple system. It's us putting restraints on the universe that fucks everything up because you're basically telling a, a, a magician with infinite power that I want it to come this way. I want it to arrive on Tuesday. I want it to get to the right. end of my block and make a right and then end up in my mailbox. And the universe is like, you know, I could just manifest this shit out of the sky and drop it right in your lap, right? I could do whatever I want. I don't have to follow the roads. I don't have to, you know, rain, sleet, snow. It, it can do anything it wants. So why should I, you know, make the road more narrow because I want to say, oh, if I do this, then other people will find that. And like, we don't have to think about that shit. All we got to do is focus on the craft, just build, just make the shit. And everything else will take shape around it. This is what I think this is what the universe wants. It wants us to interact with it in that type of way, that metaphysical manifestation way. Just move through that shit knowing that it's going to come together, knowing that it's going to work for you. And shit, it's unbelievable, bro. It's, that's that whole thing they talk about, the secret and all of that. They just use these objects and these items because they're so easy to focus on. You listen to the secret and it's like, oh, if you want a Ferrari, you can have a Ferrari. That's because that idea is, is ingrained in so many people's heads. It's not just about that car. It's about sports cars as a whole and not just about sports cars, but the lifestyle and the opulence that sports cars represent. So it's just this easy entry into this idea of lavish life and abundance you just say lamborghini but it gives but within that word the whole concept of abundance is wrapped up because you know what that means it's not just a homeless guy with a lamborghini you're thinking about the house the garage right. the, everything that comes along with having a lamborghini <laughs> so that's why they use that as a, as an entry point but i think that's the whole point that's that the whole is, point uh, a fucked up situation where the you always see this lamborghini park next to the same alleyway <laughs> and this dude just <laughs> drives to his box and is making shift home every day in his Lamborghini. Yeah, I'm like, not giving it up. This is, this is all I wanted to manifest. I'm, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I got good. the Lamborghini. I'm good now, bro. Good. It's a powerful place, right? He didn't get greedy. <laughs> you can learn a lot from that dude, you know? But for real, I, I think that's just the way it is, man. I mean, I've learned enough to convince myself, and that's all it's about, anyway, is our personal experience. Because nobody can convince you otherwise from something that you've actually experienced. 
you know, and that's the way it's supposed to be. We, you got to see it for yourself. You got to have some kind of interaction with it. And I've seen it, bro. Changing your perspective literally changes the way the world reacts to you. It's like it put you push and it pushes back kind of shit. So, so what are the principles for for the people that are joining your your cult? Love over everything, yo. Compassion is currency. We're not dealing with none of the other silliness of anything like that. If it don't come from a place of love, compassion, and evolution towards a higher self, we don't need to deal with it. It's useless. Mm. It's pointless. It has. It, it's no good. It's garbage that we can throw away, no matter what. Whether it's relationships with people or political ideologies or any of that shit, if it's not rooted in compassion and evolution towards your higher self, then what good is it? All right. So what are the enforcement mechanisms when people aren't pulling their weight? Excommunication. <laughs> and, and, and the reason excommunication is easy is because we all understand the whole bad apple concept. Right. We, we totally understand that. We understand energy. We understand that there are resonant frequencies and dissonant frequencies. And sometimes if you play two notes together, they sound horrible. The one note by itself is fine. The other note by itself is fine. But if you play these two notes together, it's not a good sound. So that means you can't play them together. So if we own our land and we're sovereign in that space, then anybody who's bringing an energy that is not conducive to the success of the entire group, then you can still, and you still have access to it all. This concept of abundance, and it doesn't live here with us on this land. It's everywhere. Right. It's, a, it's a law of the universe. So you can access it outside this compound. You can still get it. You still got everything you've learned. And I'm not the first person to teach it. It's all over the world. It's there. So if you, you know, you can leave here, you can get back to it. You can still use the principles the way you want to use them, do whatever you want. But if you're going to be here on this compound, you know, we got some, uh, we got some shit you're going to have to stay in tune with, period. And I think, for and, and we're talking about you know getting so big so fast, I think when shit grows intimately and slowly and it's not a, a pyramid scheme and shit, you have time <laughs> to really cultivate those ideas in people so that the ones who don't agree or the ones who don't align with that shit, they'll just be uncomfortable. They won't even want to be there. You know, we won't even have to worry about getting rid of them because they'll get rid of themselves. They'd rather walk away and be like, those motherfuckers in there are stupid. That's probably the best thing you can do. Just walk away with that feeling. Don't stay here with us and become a dissonant frequency. That's what I think anyway. I think that shit would be perfect, bro. Growing our own food, handling our own business, and not being connected to no goofy shit. Hmm. It makes that, sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's what the world needs, bro. Everything else we've been building for ourselves is confusion. Absolute confusion. I think this is what we need. And I'm not going to go force people to, or try to debate people into doing it. I th the only thing we can do is lead by example. So if we got people who are doing this thing and focusing on staying connected to this ideology and this frequency and they're happy and they're productive and they're financially secure and everything's in line for them, I think that's attractive enough. Yeah, because I think people people want to produce something, but I think it's in, in the current context, it's like no matter where you invest your energy, it's like you work on an assembly line and all day long you just put 
you know, pole A into slot B, and that's all you do. But then when you get to the end of the assembly line, you're like, oh, we're, we're making bombs. Like, I, I don't want to make a bomb, you know? And so I think, like, where people get people get kind of frustrated or they, they feel like, you know, everything's so mundane or they feel like they don't have a purpose, it's just really, I think that people don't necessarily like what we're investing all this energy for. It's like, oh, so that we can we can blow everybody up, so we can extract every drop of oil out of the ground. Like, this is this right. is what I'm going to, you know. And yeah, I get something out of it. I put my 40, 50 hours a week in, you know, and I get these little trinkets and these comforts and these conveniences. But is that really worth it to me? Is to have all those conveniences when at the end of the day, like I'm contributing to something that morally I don't necessarily agree with. And yeah, I those think are that, distractions. The conveniences are the distractions that they give us. All the little items and everything like that is a shortcut to a to a feeling. It's a representation of an energy that you think you're trying to capture. But if you can't get directly to the energy, then you just buy the thing that's represented by it. You know what I'm saying? And it's all distraction. And those those places, those jobs and everything else, the schedules, it's made to sap you of your energy so you can't invest in anything else afterwards. That's what they're designed for. That's what they're supposed to do. They don't want, I mean, how much would it help a company for you to be working there just to pay your bills until your dream takes off? Right. It wouldn't help them at all. They need you to be completely invested to the point where you can't do anything else so they can count on you doing the job that you do for them. Well, now's a great time to make a pitch because um, I've been monitoring this thing and uh, the, the, the apocalypse checklist, like everything is everything is accounted for. Like uh, <laughs> so pestilence, we got pestilence all over the globe. Uh famine, yo, all Check. the supply chains <laughs> are falling apart. Uh war, yeah, there's there's carriers, you know, aircraft carriers going all around, South China Seas in dispute. And as far as violence, people people are having uprisings. There's food shortage riots going on in Italy, you know, breaking and entering, domestic violence is going up. So there's so all the horses are accounted for. <laughs> and moreover, um, as far as the solution, Bill Gates is like, look, we got listen, we just we're gonna we're gonna give you this tattoo. No, nothing, nothing has ever gone wrong with tattooing human beings. So don't no, worry never. about it. No, nope, and it's, it's a little, it's a little tattoo mark that'll keep track of you. So that the the beast, I mean, the government knows where you're at, and we'll make sure that you're okay and that you're, you know, you're not everything's great and nobody has a disease. So, um, the 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 ground is ripe to make the the pitch that there should be some sort of detachment from what is, because it's yeah, absolutely. all the horses are here. <laughs> Listen, it, it's going to be clearer and clearer every minute that goes by, bro. I say it more often than uh, some people would like, but. It's really the truth, bro. It's metaphysics or oh, we're fucked. There's nothing left on the list. There's nothing left on the list. And and not only is this, this is not something foreign that we're transitioning into. It's something that we've forgotten about that we just have to remember to transition forward into. It's not new. It's not some new idea. I love when people uh, categorize all this stuff as new age. It's like, do you do understand that this existed before all of your uh, organized religions 
Like these concepts and ideas existed before all of that. This is how that shit came into play. Even in a religion, even if you take Christianity, it's warning you about pagans and shit like that and people who were into other shit besides Christianity. So that it can't be new age. <laughs> if, if, if a religion as old as that is already warning you about it. I just think that's what we need to move forward to. I think people pulled us away from it. Not only did they pull us away from it, they started employing it all for themselves. And that should be extremely uh, telling that they didn't completely abandon it. They told us to leave these symbols and, and, and ideas and concepts alone, but then they use them in their logos and when they build right, in their cities and their architecture. So it's like they, they're using all the shit they told us to stay away from. And these yeah, are the politicians awesome. and the people yeah. who are so deep into the business and all of that, and they still have this connection to this spiritual iconography. There's a reason for that. A very simple reason, too. So, I mean, like I said, I've seen enough, so... I'm I'm all I'm I'm game. I'm in, bro. I've seen enough. It's like once you once you see that green code for the first time, ain't no going back. Yeah, I definitely I definitely think uh I'm definitely convinced at this point that the the people that lead us are are sociopaths. They're they're absolutely hell bent on moving this thing forward despite all the evidence that it can't continue as it is. Like they're not trying to hear that. And there and there's not really much of a concern. Just get what you can while you're here. Fuck all the um, the ramifications. Ramifications be damned. And that's and that's and it's almost like everybody feels like they're helpless. Like, well, we have to be in the ship, going on this course. It's like, well, you don't have to, you know. Right. Right. But but people feel like there, there's no other option. So even even if you look at everything and complain about it, like, ah, this sucks and. Obviously, everybody's trying to take advantage of you and all these politicians are out for themselves, you know, but what else am I going to do? So I'm still so I think it's it's about having a viable alternative like, OK, you can invest your energy into something else, because at the end of the day, if you can't if you can't make it sustainable, that's really that's the leverage. Like if if I if I try to do something where I'm not putting part A into part B and helping formulate this bomb that's going to destroy us, if I if I don't want to be on this assembly line at, at, you know any longer how am i going to take care of myself so like right. until 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 that problem can be solved reasonably for a massive amount of people that's that's the biggest challenge that's the biggest right. challenge is people having a vision of being able to take care of themselves outside of that paradigm where yeah. for a lot of people is right now it's it's unfathomable they can't they can't see it yeah maybe people need to relearn how they engage with the idea of wealth and money and all of that all of that needs to be reframed for people because it's all mental everything is mental so if you have a a picture of that your relationship to it has got some negative strings attached to it then you're going to be trapped up you're going to be trapped up and that's exactly why they've sold us the shit that they've sold us is because people understand the effect that it has on their psyche they just stay locked into it and they feel like it's nothing they can do. So nothing presents itself. The opportunity doesn't present itself because they don't even think the opportunity is a possibility. Most of them. Mm. So I think that's why people, we just need to relearn. And that's just going to be the whole process behind uh, the psychedelic church, bro, is to relearn <laughs> how to uh, how to interface with reality in, in a way that makes it conducive to what you want to do with it. And the life you want to live and what, what self you want to evolve into. Because I think it, it, the interface is there. We're just not looking at it the right way. 
but we can there's a hundred people we can find online right now who have changed the condition that they was in become successful well-known rich whatever you want to call it whatever the markers are for success they've they've checked all of those boxes and if you listen to them tell you how they were able to check those boxes and what type of uh, things they had to employ to get themselves through all of those spots, they'll all tell you the same shit. But we're not making a connection just as a, as a society, as a species. We're not making a connection. But all of those people who have all of that shit, now I say 99 out of 100 of them will tell you the same shit. They'll be like, oh yeah, we started waking up early. I was exercising, eating right. I was meditating. And all of these little pieces that come into play They'll all tell you they did it, but people won't take that as a as a concrete recipe. They'll right. just be like, "Oh, that's just what Tony. That's just what Tony Robbins did." Not that what I that. need to do. Right, right. And and if that is what he did, who knows if that'll work for me too? The doubt process will start spinning immediately. You talk yourself out of it before you even try. Yeah, I, I guess that's that's a, a challenge. Is that if if you were going to reasonably uh, take it off the ground, you'd have to get people that to a degree are followers but don't want to be followers because you'd have to have that self-motivation because a lot of people, they're in their predicaments because they really don't have a vision of anything else and they're looking for somebody to give them something to do. Right. right. They don't have a vision for what they want to do. So like, all right, well, what do you want me to do? I'll just do whatever you say. Right. So I'll show up to this job or I'll do this or what do I need to do? Okay, I press the button and somebody brings the food. Okay, I'll press the button. How many times I gotta press the button before this happens? <laughs> and 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 so it's like it's Pavlovian. It's it's just a oh, response yeah. that they get ingrained into their head. So if somebody's not showing up with a button and and giving them something to press and something to do, then they they become they become panicked and insecure. So it, it you know, if you if you got a whole bunch of people like that on your hands. Then it then it becomes a problem. You probably gonna have to excommunicate a lot of motherfuckers because now you're in a situation where you kind of have to rule over people, and you kind of got a, a rule in a way that's gonna seem like tyrannical, you know. And then and then you really are the David Koresh cult leader. You ain't sleeping with everybody's wives, but you well, have shit, you to. might as well if you're gonna go through all of that shit. No wonder. But no think wonder. about it, people. People are frustrated. Well. What are you doing with my money every month? And I don't feel like doing this and I don't feel like doing that. And then it's like, okay, well, what's your plan? What's your vision for us? So what I'm trying to do is we're waking up early. We're harvesting this fucking hemp. We're getting it refined. We're shipping it off so that we're the supplier for this. And we're raising money so we can buy a bigger piece of land and do this shit all over again. And that way we can accommodate and help more people to be able to, to have something separate that they have a a chunk of ownership in. Well, I think we should do it another way. Word? Well, then why didn't you get this started originally? No, we're (laughs) going to show you how. We're going to show you how. You come to the office. My office hours are from 9 to 5. You can come to the office and you can start your own business and do it however you want. We'll sell you the hemp too. We'll do all, you know what I'm right. saying? <laughs> it's just one of those things. Some people are not going to see it. Some people are not going to understand it. But I know, I'll tell you what, ain't nobody having that conversation in the church with the pastor. Yeah. Pastor do whatever he want. Do whatever he want to do. As long as he got that good sermon on Sunday. Right. But that <laughs> as long as he got that good sermon on Sunday, and maybe once a month or something like that, we can get some mac and cheese and you know, Sister Shirley can cook some cornbread or something like that. Everybody be happy. 
And that's why some people would argue that to successfully run a cult, you have to have a degree of brainwashing, unfortunately. Like as as much as you would want to be up and up with everybody and be like, hey, I'm not taking advantage with you, taking advantage of you. I'm gonna give you all the facts. And like, could you imagine if they introduced that into church? Like they had this we're doing everything the same. But I get up here and I tell you, well, listen, actually, in the early earliest manuscripts, these words aren't in here. And actually, there's another, there was a whole, you know, Canaanite pantheon where some of these other gods were talked about as being equal gods. That's why you see this language here in the Old Testament. And the oh, tra- no. So, yeah. so, it's, it, so if, you, if you give them the butt naked raw truth and say, listen, I'm not trying to streamline these ideas just so I can get your undevoted um, uh, devotion, I'm actually going to give you the whole truth and all the nuance and all the, you know, all it would do is it would take away that pastor's ability to have people have a hundred percent buy on buy in from beginning to end to the point that they're not questioning him. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, so I, it, it, it sucks. It's like, yo, the, and, and it, it, without fail, every single, every single religious movement that you see there, there's a speck of that. We're, we're waiting for the mothership. You're going to get your own planet. You got to get rid of all your thetans. Like there's something in there where you got to get them to buy into some crazy shit. Yo, everything written down here is totally one. It's written by the finger of God. Like, fuck it. Like, well, where are you sure? Maybe, I mean, maybe it's inspired, but it's not. Nope. You have to believe that every single word, like even where they eat the babies. What about when they rape the prostitute and chop her into 12 pieces? Like, God Every really like right. single <laughs> word. It's like okay, who was born from who? This three chapters of Ben begat Sheila and Sheila begat. This is for three chapters. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's what was on God's mind. All well, right, listen, I'll just we'll come up with something about how you can only advance after you've had certain like thousands of trip hours. You're gonna have to, yeah. Even, even have, if like, it's bullshit, tears. they right. <laughs> psychedelic trip tears. Like you've only tripped for a total of 350 hours, so you're not even allowed to speak on this conversation, right? And then you got to have that ceremony, like in in judo, where you you graduate to the next belt level. Right. They pay the fee, they go to the next belt level. And yeah. the thing is, is looking at it, I used to look at it as like, oh, well, that's them taking advantage of the other people's. No, those people need that. If, oh, yeah, you they give, need it. if you if you give it to them just the truth, then they don't want it. They want you got to season it, even yeah. if it's absolute truth. You got to season it with some bullshit. If you don't, then there's just something about the human condition. Like you okay. know what? If you're not gonna if you're not gonna take advantage of me at all, <laughs> I'll go I'll, I'll go elsewhere. I'm gonna go drop my my kids off at this Catholic daycare where I'm sure. Yeah, hey, listen, I'm telling you, we, we'll do what we got to do. We, we'll figure it out to where it fits the mold of what people's psyches need versus what we're okay with doing morally. And we'll just make it work. I mean, at the very least, we'll get rich. So, <laughs> Worst know? case scenario. Worst Man. case scenario, all we do is get rich. <laughs> You know, hopefully we help a few people along the way, start some uh, some dope businesses. But if not, you know, at the very least, we'll get rich and we'll do a lot of shrooms. So we should be happy. It's a lovely plan, bro. I think so. I I, I think so. It might need a little bit of fleshing out, but I think it's uh, it might be the key. 
it might be the key to moving our freaking species in the direction it needs to move in. It just might be. I'm down. To, I'm down to give it a shot. Well, no belts. You know, it won't be blue belt, yellow belt, green belt, but different color T-shirts, and maybe with different creatures on the shirt. And that's how, like, if you know, if you get to X Y Z level, you've probably seen something that looks like this. So <laughs> you wear you wear this creature on to show that you've gone to that level. And there'll be certain meetings where you you only can come if you got a certain level of shirt and only right. people that are in that meeting can know what's on that shirt. Right. You add a little something like that, make it like Masonic degrees, hey, people like will be it. lining up at the door. I like it, bro. I'm telling this is this this can happen sooner than we think. So I'm taking all notes. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. This is this is high on my agenda, uh, high on my to-do list right now. Oh dude, let's start a cult, man. It's the only way. <laughs> I'm convinced. I mean, I, I've been convinced for a while, and I really do think that's the only way to do it because that just makes us sovereign in a way where people can't really question. If we just accept that, they'd be like, "So why are y'all doing?" And be like, "We're a cult. That's why." <laughs> it's like, oh well, I guess you can't really argue with right. somebody <laughs> whose rebuttal is we're a cult. <laughs> so that kind of ends all the conversations right there. Yeah, it, you don't have to spend endless hours debating. No, yeah, it's a real quick conversation. No, yeah, so y'all take mushrooms and meditate? Yeah, we're a cult. So. Yeah, cult. <laughs> all right, so y'all, 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 y'all all live on this this self sustaining compound, and yeah. he doesn't get to sleep with all of your wives. Yeah, 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 we're a cult. Yeah, yeah. That, that that answers the question you just asked me, and the next eight questions have yeah. also been answered. <laughs> and I say we're a cult. So, so just, so just, just ask them there. in your head. Ask them silently <laughs> and to repeat yourself. my answer every yeah. time, and you'll you'll be correct. Yep, that's the move. So I think I think we got it. All right, man. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the move. That's the uh, that's the agenda for next week is to get this cult started. Yeah, I think I think we should definitely flesh out some some uh, short term goals. Uh, it's got it's got to have teachings. It's got to have teachings that are easily repeatable. There's got to be some secret stuff that yeah. you don't get until you yeah. get to a certain tier. We're gonna and need then, a book for sure. At least yeah. one book. Gotta be, or, or at the very least, an essay. Even the, the a, manifesto. Had a manifesto. <laughs> a manifesto. David Koresh had the Seventh Seal. You know. Right. There's right. got to be something, and and to the to the greater to the to the degree that you can reference what all, we, all is already established uh, as kind of religiously authoritative, the easier it is. Right. The, yeah, when you come, yeah. yeah. So the the more that you can reference what already is and incorporate that into the message, the more it'll resonate with people than than starting from scratch. So David Koresh is like, listen, I can't just I can't just come out with a book saying I get to bang everybody's wife. So no. we're going to go to the book of Revelations. Nobody understands it. And the yeah. seventh seal is a mystery. And this is brilliant. So nobody has ever known what the seventh seal is. I can just say I fucking know. And, I, and already... I think I know what it is. Yeah. Seventh seal is my room is on the same floor. It's <laughs> all, all the women. That's the seventh seal. <laughs> it makes perfect sense to me, if, especially if you're the only person that can figure it out. <laughs> What else could it say? What else could it possibly say? <laughs> Welcome to the upper room with David Koresh. <laughs> the oh women's my. quarters with David Koresh. The women's quarters with David Koresh. That's beautiful. 
Sex Burden with David Koresh. I'll accept it. <laughs> Inside Your Wife with David Koresh. That one's just disrespectful. That's just downright. <laughs> I, can, I can just see his smug face laughing when he says it. <laughs> I can just see one of those low-budget cable access shows. Like, welcome to Inside Your okay. Wife with David Koresh, live from the compound. And he high-fives the husband. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Today's topic... <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah, man, I'm gonna handle some business. Good, uh, oh, yeah. good talk tonight. Yeah, that was man. awesome. So yeah. we're gonna, um, we should definitely link up this week too, though, and uh, lay some groundwork for. Will we on? Uh, let's start a cult episode eight next week. This is episode seven. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Doing for a while now, man. Yeah, dude. Seven, seven in a row. That's that's pretty good. I'm I'm proud. All right, well, yeah, let's um, we'll we'll link up Wednesday or Thursday, have a quick building session, and we'll we'll look for uh, we'll look for Sunday, and just Dope, let me man. for you, man. Excellent, bro. Good talking to you, brother. Yep. Always a pleasure, my brother. Have a great rest of your Sunday, man. You too, man. Take it easy. Peace.